Episode 74 of the Win Six Podcast, official podcast behind bookpass.com. I'm your host, size editor in chief, Adam McGee. And joining me this week, as usual, we have Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. Also, for one week only, and I need I need to stress that. He only came back under the conditions that we were we were discussing the time limit. He's trying to put time limits on the Wednesday's podcast <laughs> before he even came on, which, I mean, if you're a listener, you'll know just time limits don't really work around here. But we have managing editor, former podcast guest, Ty Windish. Hello, Ty. Hey. Hey, how's it going? What's, what's it feel like to be back? Um, it feels okay. You messed up my intro. I am so expert. I was gonna skip over it completely. And that would have been better. That's how I like to fly under the radar. I just just let you sort of. How funny it. would that have been? Just like four minutes into the podcast, I just. By the way, this is what I think. Everyone's like, "What?" I almost just swore. By the way, I'm so used to recondition myself for this podcast. I mean, you're slumming it down here with us. So it feels like I think it's I think it's vice versa. I think it's like I got like called up to first class for the day because I underbooked or something. Okay, that's a that's a good way to start. That's you you have a lot of work to do, but you're slowly but surely <laughs> gonna work your way back into our good graces. I'll earn your trust. Just give me a chance. You have a chance. It might go on somewhere in the region of three hours. So earn that chance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> This week is a little bit different, as I flagged up at the end of last week's episode. Those of you who don't just listen to our podcast, but also read our work at the site, behindthebookpass.com, you'll have noticed in the last few days that September is Books History Month for us. So we are working chronologically. We have worked our way through the 60s, which is really just the end of the 60s for the books. We're now into the 70s. And we are going to touch on a lot of that stuff in this week's podcast. Um, there is some current, more topical news to talk about as well, so don't worry, we will touch on that a little bit later on. Um, but first of all, we're going to run through how basically all of this came to be. And that is as simple as, under no circumstances, are the three of us sitting here now talking if not for the stuff that we're going to discuss in this podcast, and that's how the books were, were founded, who founded them, and where it all went from there. There's a lot of things that 
I guess in my own research in recent days I've come across that I hadn't heard about before and I don't know, there's some things that maybe the team don't make as much noise as they should about so we're gonna talk about them. Some of you might know already it might be a learning experience for some of the rest of you. Uh, with that in mind this will probably feel a little different in structure. There will probably be spells where I'll talk a little bit longer. Um, Everybody listening is like, "Oh wow, that's so new. That's never happened." Before. No, but I, I mean longer. I mean it won't. It won't just be like a. It won't just be like a ten-minute-long question. I'll, I'll be storytelling. Um, I mean, imagine a campfire and Adam's holding a flashlight. Who's saying? Wilson. Who's saying we're not sitting around a campfire right now? Yeah, virtual campfire. Yeah, well, I have one of those. I uh, you know those. Oh, never mind. No, I mean, you've started it, so if you're going to yeah, bring it up... I should have rethought it before I didn't start it. Uh, you know those Christmas fireplace videos? I think Netflix actually has it. They do. Um, they stream it every Christmas. Oh, okay. There was a D DVD, and my family bought it because of <laughs> like, fires. This is, is this a real story, or is this a joke? This is a real story. Wow. Right? Yeah. So. Okay, last... so... Jordan has just kindly put on the Christmas fireplace DVD in the background. Yeah, there's a little crackles. Someone, crackle, someone's crackle, passing crackle. out marshmallow bags. We got loose sticks and twigs for to put the marshmallows on. I'm as you see, tired of this metaphor. <laughs> it's already nearly derailed. I mean, Ty is back. I'm just going to blame Ty, even though it was Jordan. I, how is it always my fault? <laughs> We'll talk to you. I think, I think it's like it's like I'm like the older brother. Like when I'm back, Jordan knows he can get away with more. Jordan's like, oh, he's a I lightning rod. This is on it's him. Like, yeah, it's like the goalie. Got to get through the five hole. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> That's my only hockey I didn't, term I know. I'll stop. Talking. I didn't get it. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell some stories. Okay. Jordan and Ty will probably interrupt, and we'll discuss some. Fun things from there. Um, we'll start out with how the team began. How are both of you on books history to begin with? I know, obviously, we've all been looking into it a little bit more, but before, say, the last week or so, where would you say you're at in terms of how the team was founded, by who? I mean, we all know when it was founded, but just sort of the basics of how the books in Milwaukee came about? Before the last week? Yeah, before the last week. Like zero. Like nothing. I was like, well, one day uh, a mommy NBA team and a daddy NBA team loved each other very much, and after that they had a baby NBA team, and that was the Bucks, and that's how I thought it happened. The stork carried it over to Milwaukee and dropped it off, and blam, Bucks basketball. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't think I can even come to that degree. I knew some things, but not all. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I thought I knew all by any means, but I thought I yeah. knew a little more than I think I've realized I did now. Mm -hmm. And that starts with, that starts with the very beginning for the books. Um, which was, the team was founded in 1968, but obviously it was a process that ran on a little bit before that. 
basically the background to it, two names we will discuss a little bit more and I really hope you'll go and sort of read up on after we're done because there's some really incredible stories out there. Uh, but the two men who are primarily responsible for bringing an NBA team to Milwaukee were Wesley Pavlon and Marvin Fishman. Basically, as the story goes, Wesley Pavlin um, was from Chicago, multi-multi-millionaire who, I guess, amassed his fortunes through a sort of private and homeschooling network. Um, while Marvin Fishman was from Milwaukee and he became something of a real estate magnet. Marvin Fishman's dream was basically to bring an NBA team back. Not an NBA team, a pro sports team to Milwaukee. The Packers at the time played regularly in the city, but obviously were still Green Bay's team. So something that I hadn't realized before, I don't know if it gets talked about all that much, but basically how it came to be an NBA team was he tried to bring an AFL team at the time. Vince Lombardi, legendary Packers coach slash trophy, caught on to what was potentially going to happen in Milwaukee, and he very, very quickly put a stop to it. Um, I would say he said, like, what the hell's going on out here? Because that's What the hell's going on out here? There you go. Like that, yeah. I mean, if we can just sort of interject with more like dialogue like that this is going to be a lot more interesting for everyone involved <laughs> can i can i make a quick note here yeah from that article that you had showed me about pavilon like how is there not a movie about this guy? Uh, all uh, i could think of when reading it i was like man leo dicaprio playing this guy get like mark ruffalo to be Marvin Fishman, like let's make this thing happen. I uh, need. This I will. Movie. I will make that movie if no one else does. Because I was. You know who? I was. You know who can write the screenplay? Who? You know who can write the screenplay? He was there after they drafted him. Kareem can write the screenplay. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm. Uh, let me just get on the phone to Kareem. I get this. That's thing the going. sequel to Minecraft Homes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the sequel to the sequel. I think he's written two now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to Wesley Pavlon in more detail because he's really just I, I can't put into words how fascinating he is and how surprised I was that I don't know, he's just not a bigger figure in books consciousness to this very day. But basically how the books came about was Vince Lombardi caught wind of a potential AFL team coming to Milwaukee and some people who were involved in like, I don't know, county planning boards and, and the likes who had guaranteed tickets to the Packers were very quickly warned that if they liked their guaranteed tickets, there'd be no AFL team in Milwaukee. So from there, Marvin Fishman had to change his plans. Him and Wesley Pavlon then came together. They founded a company going by the name of Milwaukee Pro. And they applied for a franchise from the NBA, paid $2 million, and so the books were born. We'll cut off just a little bit here, and we'll get back to the, the details of that. But now that we're talking about the books being born, nicknames are a very, very important part of what we do on the Win 6 podcast. Um, about 50% of what comes out of Jordan's mouth 
his nickname related? Yes. So, I did some research. I did it for a piece earlier that I posted earlier in the week on how the books became the books, how the nickname came about. And I, I was really... I mean, we've done this in terms of the D-League team, right? Oh, yeah. Shabuigan Shabaks. Yeah, okay. We've talked about what the D-League team should be called. I think our suggestions are better than pretty much everything that was put forward for the books. First of all, important to note, books, they held... Uh, as is sort of common practice for this, they held a public poll where everyone can submit naming entries. Some of the names that came in. The Skunks. <laughs> the Beavers, which isn't the worst, but it's just not a... I don't know, it just doesn't work for me as like... An NBA team animal. Who would give yeah. a damn about the Milwaukee Beavers? Uh, oh. The Ponies, which is... That's a damn shame they passed on that. Come on. That's not even a Beaver joke. I just said it. No, I no. I, I assumed you'd move down past that, but the Milwaukee Ponies, come on. That's dope. And the Hornets. I don't know if we we'll, we can get past that associating that with like Charlotte or New Orleans. So How about Charlotte again? Yeah, so that's a tough one to even imagine. But the 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 team name that actually won the fan vote, and I say thankfully, whoever the judging panel were, they had the good sense to pass over it for what came in second, which was books. Was Robins the Milwaukee Robins was what the people of Wisconsin wanted to call their team? That's horrible. Is that I, the state bird? That might be the state. It bird. is the state bird. Okay, oh, so, you know I didn't know that, so that makes yeah. more sense. But it's still, I mean, that's not a good reason. It still, it still sucks. I mean, yeah. I'm not a fan of that. It's more of it, a baseball name. It, it, yeah, it's the birds, birds are birds are baseball, baseball right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, or football, or football. But not basketball. Not basketball. The no. Birds cannot come while well, they can, but they're not allowed in to watch basketball games. I mean, Man, I, Manu Ginobili will slap you. That was a bat. That is, that is true. That was a bat. That's I like but three I have a feeling he would possibly slap a bird too. Probably. The bird no, is I'm the not word. sure. Is that, is that libel? Is it to say that Manu Ginobili would possibly slap a bird? <laughs> I don't think that's libel. It's not libel if it's true. Yeah. He has a history of slander. showing. It'd be slander. Libel's written. Disrespect okay. to a flying animal. Not disrespect. Just possible respect. Uh, that's uh, pretty disrespectful. Yeah. He slapped, it. He slapped <laughs> it pretty good. If you were naming the books today. Can you think of a better name in the books? Is there something that sticks out to you where you say that would be fun? Or are you where I sort of feel where it just gets to a point where it's so ingrained and you're so used to it that it's hard to imagine anything else being the team name? I'm probably more towards the latter because I actually I do think the Bucks be the name of the team. I think it's one of the best names in NBA. 
I was gonna get mm-hmm. to that. Is it a, is it actually a good name, or are we just used to? It? I think it's a really good name, and the reasoning makes even more sense. Like from the what's his name, R D Treble Cox. What a <laughs> quite the name. What a name. What a wordsmith. Treble Cox. I felt like, come on now. There was no car. This was this was all a scam. I, I'd love to know. Seemingly the winner. Artie Chabacox was one of 45 people who suggested the books, and he was the only one, obviously. He didn't give out 45 cars, so he won the top prize, which was a car. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They were going to pick the name based on a poll where the second place choice only got 45 votes. Yeah. How many people voted? Like 100? 200? No, there no, was over 14,000. Yeah. So everybody voted Robbins? Order was like five thousand different oh, I suppose, names yeah, receiving votes, which is a terrifying prospect. What yeah, they five. should have narrowed it down first. Like if if skunks makes it true to the present day, where we can talk about skunks was a potential name, <laughs> I'd hate to think what the really bad names were. If this is being taken place now, I'm I would guarantee Harambe would be one of the names. Those. Oh my god. You're you're. 100% right. I mean, you can't yeah. do that sort of contest anymore. Yeah. No, someone is. Oh, who's doing that? Wait. No, oh my god, it's for a gorilla, too. A zoo is doing that. <laughs> it's like they've never even heard of the internet. I mean, without I sounding distasteful, that's sort of okay, because the gorilla's gonna die eventually. Decide, I mean, it's just like, made I, me feel like I, no, like I don't, I don't even care about the taste of it. Like I didn't think it was funny right away, and like I laugh at dark jokes, but I was like, whatever. It's like they're just forcing it, and now like it's still a thing, and it's been like a month or more. It's like just, di- just let it die, like gorillas like, do. According like Harambe. <laughs> oh, you, you did that. I wasn't gonna go that far. That's on Jordan. So we've no improvements on books. We're all very happy with. No, I mean I feel like all like all that matters is like what you do at the end of the day. Like, I mean if you look at it, some of the best teams have some stupid names like the Spurs. That's an accessory well, used to Spurs kick a horse. Okay, though. I mean, use it to kick a horse. It's a horse kicking accessory. Yeah, but I mean it's fitting for the location. Yeah, yeah I suppose. I mean, I think if it was like. Like, I think you look at, like, the worst teams and you just automatically assume that they have the worst names just because, like, there's nothing associated with it. Like, who cares about the Nets because they've never done anything? Or the second iteration Hornets or the Pelicans. Like, if the Pelicans won, like, four straight titles, everyone would be like, wow. You know what was a good name? The Pelicans. Like, the, the Nets is one where it's actually a bad name, but because it has real history true like back to aba days i'm sort of okay with the nets just because it's it, it was a stupid name to begin with but whatever it's here now we've all gotten used to it i'm over it i think like i think the thunder might be the worst the worst and that's one of the that's one of the newest franchises yeah. in the NBA. it's like once they've been around for 30 years and they win a couple titles they won't be the worst anymore the new guy will be i'll i'll, I'll throw out this one too I think Heat. I think Heat is a terrible name. I I came across though in research for this some of their other potential names, and it was like the Miami Sharks, the Miami Beaches. 
<laughs> I was like, okay, no, Sharks, Sharks, Miami Sharks isn't actually that bad, and I feel like you'd get used to that. But Miami beaches, I mean, I don't know if it came down to heat or beaches. If it did, they made a pretty good choice. Was that submitted do by? Do you know it's stylized in all caps? I do. Your, it's a, it's a horrible thing that I will never do in writing. No, no one. Tech, that, that's how the team does it. does it. Yeah, no one else does it. Well, I think like one of the papers there does it because someone asked him on Twitter. He's like, "Why do you always capitalize it?" Well, technically, that's what it is. Just nobody listens to it because it's dumb. Isn't that with the uh, L.A. the Clippers? They're going by L.A. Clippers. Yeah, seeing the Clippers have got rid of Los Angeles. They're officially the L.A. Clippers. The Clippers are like, hey, how bad can we make a makeover? Let's find out. Like, their new logo. Like, honestly, like, just let Blake draw it. EA Sports logo. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tiburon. It's EA Sports. Tiburon. Again, though, it's like if they get if they end up really good, like they'll get away with all of it. Like, yeah. Like if if the Warriors weren't good right now, right now I would be saying something like, "That's stupid." As stupid as the Warriors going from the San Francisco Warriors to the Golden State Warriors, which was one of those things. Like, why did they do that? I don't know if there was a move back then or if they just changed it. I'm not positive, but I know that before it was the San Francisco Warriors. And it uh, I know, I know they moved. They moved out to the Bay, so. I'm guessing when they moved though, but they, they changed that. Yeah, that's true. The only reason I bring up is there a possibility of a better name for the books, and it's funny we talked about birds earlier. Of course, the Hawks, my Hawks, used to be the oh, Milwaukee yeah. Hawks. Yeah, I I don't hate that name. I think that sort of sounds okay. Yeah. Considering that I'm used to Milwaukee being followed by books and Hawks. What about Bucks? Like yeah, I mean, well. Can, can we talk about the real worst team name in the NBA real quick? I thought we did that with the Thunder, but let's go for it. See, they're older, so people don't say it, but like a 76er? What even is that? Is that supposed to be a founding father? Yeah, I think that's person. A, it's a reference to, isn't it? It's an aging person. Yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. It's like, that's not even a real thing. Like, you just made it up just because you didn't want the team to be called Philadelphia Founding Fathers. But they are well. I, I yeah, you're you're probably right. I think that one they get away with that because they're old. They're super old. Well, not, it's like, well, they've been around over the years. So some of their branding and like their jerseys and stuff have been really good. Yeah. That too. Like that. Their, their, like, their logo. I'm not a fan of the whole say Iverson era six or stuff. It's just too like '90s for me, maybe. Yeah, uh, I like some things. It's the same. I have the same issue with some of the books jerseys of that era. Oh just, no! We'll get to that later. But it's it's nice for uh, some things just to look a little bit timeless. So you could drop it in the '80s or today, and you could still say that looks good. And I feel like the Sixers jerseys in the Iverson era definitely don't fall into that category. It's funny because their nickname is about Founding Fathers, but that's not even their founding team that was in Philadelphia. The irony. <laughs> Getting back to where we started. Off of nicknames. Not for long. I'm sure nicknames in some way or another will come back up. This is winning six after all. When the team was founded, um, they took what's what was a pretty unorthodox route, I guess, to getting the state involved in it. 
with the exception of being obviously this was a Wisconsin-based team and with the structure of Packers ownership, maybe it was a little bit more common for the area. Um, but basically, what Milwaukee Pro Pavlon Fishman decided to do was open up public offering of shares, and the key detail was that they were only available to people who were resident in Milwaukee. So the original sale was for 300,000 shares, and because public interest was so high, they added an extra 125,000 shares. So by the time the books played their first game, they had sold over 425,000 shares at $5 per share. We'll get on to Pavlin and Fishman specifically now. Um, in many ways, I feel like they're sort of they're sort of like the classic double act for anything, with like Fishman being like it's basically like a movie double act. Fishman is the straight guy. He is the no nonsense. They're gonna bounce off each other, and part of the comic relief is gonna come from Marvin Fishman being sort of straight down the line, logical businessman. The regular Felix and Oscar, right? So, Marvin Fishman <laughs> is the striker. Pavlon, as Ty alluded to earlier, on the other hand, is not like many characters that I've come across in just any sort of NBA stories. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't overstate this. He's fascinating. The best place, and there, there are a few little sort of snippets of... I'll highlight for you now, but the best place if you really want to get a sense of Wes Pavlon is like, Google his name, you'll find an SI Vault piece, this really super long feature profile they did, I want to say it was 1969, 1970-ish, so it was after the team being founded, uh, but you get sort of Pavlon's background, this whole way how he worked up from nothing to being this self-made multi-millionaire and a lot of his thoughts on the books and it is fascinating and um, to sort of paint the picture for you it takes place with him sitting in the back seat of his chauffeur driven green limousine um, he's smoking a cigar throughout <laughs> there's these great interactions where he like the, the writer asks him for example why 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 do you go around in a chauffeur driven limousine? And Pavlon explains that he had gotten so many speeding tickets that his license was going to be taken away from him. And rather than letting them take his license away, he just mailed it to them and he got a chauffeur. <laughs> and then straight after that he'll be like Joe is the worst chauffeur you could ever have. <laughs> it's like, Joe, did you get a good night's sleep last night like we talked about? And the chauffeur just nods. It's it's this crazy dynamic. As Ty said, it is just waiting for somebody to make a movie out of it. This is how it opens. This is how this piece opens. Um, the writer describes that the ABA is trying to raise a million dollars to give to Lou Alcindor, now known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to come to the ABA. And he's, that guy's like, oh, it sounds brilliant. And then Wes Pavlon says, it's a lot of garbage. Follow-up quote. And, how, and just how, says Pavlon, do these people think they're going to outbid the whole state of Wisconsin? 
If all they can come up with is $1 million, they had better save it to buy themselves a one-eyed, five-foot-six center out of Humpty Dump State. That's, that's, I mean, that's, you can't, it's, I wish owners did that now. We have a West now. Like, let's yeah. do a West. <laughs> I did think about that, too. I mean. Maybe his middle name is Pavilion. I don't, we don't know. <laughs> That'd be insane. If ever there's a man to find out his middle name, Jordan, I think it's you. That is my life's quest. We still have to hear from Andrew Andrews. <laughs> his middle name is Andrew. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Andrews, his parents did the world a disservice if they didn't give him Andrew as a middle name. Yeah. Come on, man. Um, to, to sort of flesh it out further on Pavlon, like in this piece he's described as a guy who lives on a diet of pizza and low-calorie colas. Uh, I've read a few Not different... Not Jason Kidd with his Coke and popcorn. Yeah, I did think of that too. I mean, the parallel <laughs> there. Um, he was an avid fisherman. He owned a private lake um, where he had, I want to say it was an 80-foot yacht. Um, he had his own private jet that he liked to fly himself at times as well. He There's a great quote in here. Basically, he talks about a lot of his business. He, I don't know what way to describe how he worked his way up through business, but in the nicest way possible, it seems like he sort of went from one scam to another and was very successful at it. Uh, but when asked about it, the quote he gives in, in this SI piece again, which, as I said, it's it's long, but it's worth reading. This is the guy who started the franchise, and he couldn't be more colorful as a character. His quote was, you know, it's a funny thing, finance. People know I never went to school. It's no secret. And they ask me where I learned finance. They think you have to go to Harvard Business School before you can make a dollar. Nuts. I tell them I learn my finance out in the streets. I mean, you can either learn by being taught at home, and I sure wasn't getting any there, or you have to learn it yourself. And this is very much the kind of guy it is. And we see today with anything, starting a franchise, building an arena, and there were parts of this involved at the time when they took over the books. None of that is easy, but there are a lot of stories about how sort of Pavilion charmed his way in and out of situations. Um, he was someone who, well, Cinder at the time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar now was particularly fond of. And part of that might be that Papillon eventually helped him to navigate his way out of Milwaukee via trade. Um, when that all went down, Papillon and Wayne Embry, who was the GM at the time, sort of quietly managed Kareem's way out without letting his reasons of being I think the line that you generally see was culturally incompatible with the city without letting that get out there and obviously the effects that that would have um, but Kareem there's quotes from Bo Pavlon and um, Fishman, they both died in 2009 and for an obituary that was in, what's it? it was the Journal Sentinel, there's a quote from Kareem on just how he considered him a friend, how much he liked the guy. Yeah, I actually have it right here. Okay, do you want to give it? Yeah, uh, Wes Pavlon was an incredible human being who greatly loved the game of basketball and his adopted home of Wisconsin, Abdul-Jabbar said. 
He made it possible for the Hoops fans in Wisconsin to have world championship basketball in their backyard. He made friends very easily, especially within my family. My mom felt his warmth and generosity firsthand and considered him a family friend from the first time she met him. It is rare in the world of professional sports to have the privilege of knowing an owner and administrator who is also someone you consider to be a family friend. I will miss him greatly, and I send my thoughts and prayers to his family. That's Kareem, who usually Kareem quotes are like seven words, especially if they're about basketball. And it's something like, bleh, is your typical Kareem quote. When Kareem found out the Bucks drafted him, his first quote on it was, I was disappointed I couldn't go somewhere I wanted to go, like Los Angeles or New York. And I was like, wow, thanks, Kareem. Love you. That's funny, the whole ABA threat to begin with, um, as in the ABA looking to bring Kareem, because that was ultimately what got Kareem out of. Milwaukee was he threatened to go and sign for an ABA team so he basically held the books to ransom where I was like okay you can keep the best player in the world in the league you play in or you can be the ones responsible for watching me go and play in that other league uh, part of why that, that quote and I guess as you said like the detail and the, the length that Kareem goes to talk about Pavlon he just wasn't any normal guy this the piece I just came across just before we started recording, it was actually it was a, a piece from Insegovia on Booksketball from 2012. Um, and it comes with excerpts from Wayne Embry's autobiography. But there's a section on it where it's after the 1967 Milwaukee riots, original books owner Wesley Pavillon took to wearing the Sheikis and flashing the black power sign. A lot of you who are listening to this won't have seen Wesley Pavillon, but I, he, is, he is a very white guy. <laughs> he has got a distinctively sort of Midwestern white man's beard. And this image is really powerful, particularly against that sort of backdrop at the time. Well, and he wasn't just flexing either. He hired the first African-American GM in the NBA in Wayne Embry. Exactly. That was the first one. And there's there's a quote in here as well, obviously being Embry's autobiography on that, and it's described as Embry had a soft spot for Pavlon. Until Pavlon talked to him, Embry refused to go to Milwaukee after the books took him in the expansion draft. It was Pavlon then who sort of, I guess, worked him around that. And that was that was a big, big sort of... That's a key detail to start. As I said, you needed the balance, and the books definitely had that in terms of... I guess your more traditional businessman of Fishman, who was the vice president of the team, and someone in Pavlon who was the CEO and I guess the public face in a lot of ways. He was the guy who, when Kareem won his MVP trophy, for example, the pictures of him with the MVP trophy in Milwaukee, it's Pavlon on the court presenting it to him. But he was perfect for that because he would sort of put himself out there for the people and he gave them reason to embrace him in that way. Whether you were black or white, it didn't really matter. What he had done for the city, for the state, that was obviously a key factor. But just as a person, he was interesting at the very least. And I'm sure there were plenty of people who he rubbed the wrong way at the time, but I don't think there could be anyone who would debate that he wasn't an interesting figure. Um, sort of continuing on from that, you get this whole 
it feels very like the aviator to me just this whole hard news vibe with all of this but i found this short sort of excerpt from oscar robinson oscar robertson's um autobiography where he says um this is talking about the, the first year after the books had won the championship so they won the championship in 1972 so this is from oscar robertson speaking about the off season heading into the 1972 season he said, from the first day of practice, the books were seen as the new Celtic dynasty in the making, with a repeat championship in the future. But there were some minor changes to our team, and none were particularly positive. For one thing, our owner, Wesley Pavillon, was up to his neck in the red ink of a crumbling empire. He became neurotic, jittery, and this has an effect on the franchise, trickling down true management and the coaching staff. It sort of can't be... It can't be overstated just how important they were in all of the decisions at the time, as was first ever books head coach Larry Costello. It's not like we often joke about today, the current books front office, which has like I tell infinite layers of people where every decision is going to pass through. Um, so much so that we don't even know who's doing what. This was very much the owners were hands-on and the coach was hands-on in all aspects of the franchise. And I found that sort of quote fascinating. And for as passionate as the Milwaukee Pro guys, Pavel and Fishman, were, and all the work they put in to bring a team to the city, they won a championship, they were back in the finals in 1974. Within seven years of founding the team, they had sold it on. And that in itself nearly makes it all the more interesting that it was just sort of this guy came in set the table for everything to come but did it in the most spectacular way possible really winning a, winning a championship so quickly and then got out of there in a hurry when I came across all this my I guess my last impression of it was why haven't I heard of this guy why did it take me having to go and research and go who found the books to know about Wesley Pavlin or to know about Marvin Fishman and how he eventually came to looking for a basketball team for the city. I know something we've heard a lot since the new owners came in is they want to celebrate the team's past more. They want to honor legends from the past more often. We haven't seen a ton of that yet. I mean... The Dandridge retirement, was that on their watch? Was that one? Mm. Yeah, season four last. Yeah, so they retired Dandridge's jersey. Outside of that... Jim and John. Yeah, which is an important part of history. It's sort of separate to a lot of the... And I guess what I'm trying to get with that is both of those guys still work for them, so if they didn't yeah, acknowledge true. them, it would be really bad. <laughs> cough, cough, cough. Speaking of other broadcasters working for the Bucks, yeah, who need knowledge yet? Yeah, well, yeah. So maybe that argument doesn't hold up and too well. The, actually, while we're on that, Ty is of course alluding to Marcus Johnson, and I could have been talking about Gus Johnson. Yeah, they're gonna hang Gus Johnson. Who there was a Gus Johnson who played for the Bucks, but he was yeah, terrible. Diff- um, different, they're gonna hang Johnson. Gus Johnson's jersey up at the rafters. But no, Marcus, Marcus Johnson is easily the most egregious exclusion. Because, I mean, the books, the books retire a lot of jerseys. 
They have a Bob Lanier. But, yeah, he, he definitely deserves to be there. But, I mean, he was a Piston first and foremost. And his jersey is being retired by them. So it's not – I understand why that one hasn't happened, sort of. No, that has happened. Oh, it's Bob Lanier up there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm saying there's, because there's, it is up there's there. worse than that. Jordan yeah, and but I think similar that, that Lanier is similar to like Oscar. I'm not saying that in stature, but it was similar to where his best years were in another city. Yeah. But the difference, the difference was, was Oscar brought the ring. I mean, yeah, but, yeah. It ain't it ain't mean a thing without that ring. Is that I don't know if that's how the phrase goes. Oh. Anyway, base where I was going with this was. Marcus Johnson's jersey, we talked about this. I wrote a highly speculative piece about this over a year ago about how after Larry Sanders left, number eight was free, was left open. It seemed like it was bound to be going up to hang in the rafters. That's no longer the case, though. Matthew Delvadova is number eight, so... Are we not getting a Marcus Johnson retirement pretty soon? Ah... <sighs> Maybe we'll get a shared one. <laughs> I mean, they've so retired. Really? With him as a part of the broadcast team, like, there's no knowing how long that will last. He's done work in the media in lots of other areas. And let's face it, if he wanted to... If he wanted to go and work Clippers games and live in L.A. all year round, he could probably do that next year. I think at this point he's proven his ability as a broadcaster and he could probably work his way into regular roles pretty much anywhere, even maybe in more national outlets. But while he's here now and while he's been such a revelation in that sense, it's just it's a pity that one hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. I've got sidetracked. The original point on what I was going to ask you is, is there a need for the franchise to do more more remembering of even non-players, if we want to put it that way, that previous owners' contributions to the team are sort of flagged up because not every team is blessed with having good owners down the year. But one way or another, the books have had positive contributions from nearly all of their owners. Not saying there weren't negative ones too, but there hasn't really been an owner that has just been a straight-up bad owner of this team. Is it a shame that we don't hear more about the likes of the the founding owners? I mean, probably, but like I'm trying to think of an owner I could name from like any other team that – like a non-current owner. I mean, honestly, I couldn't name probably half the people that – are majority owners on NBA teams. I mean, you got you guys like Cuban, where everyone knows Mark Cuban. You know, um, oh, I can't remember his name right now, but I know that the Clippers guy too, Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer, yeah. Steve Trampoline Ballmer. Steve just scream his head off, Ballmer. I love Steve Ballmer, <laughs> but uh, but like I can't name most of them to be honest. I mean, it's a lot of them is you know conglomerates and organizations and stuff. They're not all just one person like that. But, I mean, I just feel like, in general, sports teams and franchises know that, you know, the, the owners aren't exactly the guys that everyone's psyched to hear about, even if it isn't as interesting as West Pavilion. 
I, I think and that I, the founding owners, Ty, I mean, there's no there's no team without these guys. Okay, it's one thing not recognizing all of them, but... Yeah, I mean, no, I think they should be recognized more, but I just feel like, in general, it's not, like, one of the things, like, oh, you guys need to recognize the owners more. I mean, I think it's obviously should be the first chapter in Bucks history because, like you said, there's no Bucks history without those two, or at least as we know it now. But, um, I mean, it's not – like, I'm not shocked it's not really been included, even though it should be just because, you know, their owners – like, owners just aren't seen unless they're, like, active and stuff as these talking points for teams like that. I would argue – Uh-oh. I'm not going to argue. I'm just saying. I think um, – I'm declaring. Uh, I think – when you talk about owners, uh, I, I totally agree. It makes sense that you first owners that you would think about are the people that brought the team to the city. But with everything that has happened with or under Herb Cole's tenure, um, and the reason why he became the owner of the team in the first place to save Milwaukee from losing their, you know, possibly relocating and build or help, you know, building the Bradley Center, then having to do that again as he's closing up his own like his tenure i think that is kind of stolen not the thunder per se but just stolen the consciousness around it because he has such such a strong tie to wisconsin too that that kind of folds into the story about just like how great of a man and obviously he is i'm not saying that he's not but i'm just saying i feel like that kind of just conjures up more recency a recency bias, I guess, maybe that it's easy for the uh, Pavilion and Fishman to lose, you know, I guess their names and public consciousness. No, like, and we're talking nearly 50 years ago, so I understand yeah. that, but it's part of part of what makes me say that is her co because yeah. if ever there's a time where sort of these guys are relevant, it's when you've managed to keep the team in the city that they went out of their way to bring a team to, and you're going to have a new arena opening. I do expect that in the coming years we will see a lot more from the history perspective of the team as obviously they get ready to finish up in the Bradley Center and move on. That's It's a pretty sort of traditional, natural route that NBA teams... And we're to. also closing up on 50 years. Yeah, too. 50 years too. They'll be in the new arena for the 50 year, won't they? Is that the first No, season? they won't. No, it's the 20... Yeah, okay, so 2019. It wouldn't be... Actually, 2018. I think it'd be 51st. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, well, actually, it'll still be 2018, right? In a way. It's still 2018, 2019 season. But, as all that comes up, we'll hear a bit more. But I just... I think it's strange... And particularly because, as I mentioned, there were less layers to decision-making. So, yes, there was general manager, but you really were talking owners, general manager, head coach. And what shouldn't be overlooked, because this is the ownership that delivered the championship, is they made really good decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I know one that Ty would have come across when he did the the first-ever books game and the players who played in that game. Two weeks into their first season, 
they traded Bob Love and I can't remember who the other guy was. Maybe Tyler remember. Um, um, I don't, but they got Flynn Robinson. Exactly. They got Flynn Robinson, which Flynn Robinson was a really sort of really good above average solid NBA player who managed to bet in really quickly with the team. Um, they improved towards the end of their first season. They were much better in their second year. Flynn Robinson went on to be an all-star. And then more importantly than anything, he was good enough and enough of an asset that they then traded him and Charlie Polk onto Cincinnati for Oscar Robertson. Like, those sort of deals in the space of two years, they got a guy for, okay, Bob Love was a good player, but Finn Robinson was worth more to the team at the time. They got two good years out of him. He was a player who helped them reach a stage where they were more ready, helped, say, the likes of a young Lou Alcindor to settle in and really have a bigger impact straight away. There's no doubting the level that he was at and what he would have done anyway, but it always helps. We don't need to talk about what veterans can do to help a team. We know all about that. But decisions like that, I think it's so important. Without this ownership, it was a different group. It's one thing to bring the team to Milwaukee, but to bring the team to win a championship, something else that we'll look at, I know one of us will write a piece on the coming days a little bit more detail, but 74 finals, that I feel completely gets forgotten. And Okay, no one likes to remember losing, but I mean, losing in a finals, it's only happened once to the team in franchise history. They've been to the finals twice. So that's a pretty big deal. This ownership group got the team to its only two finals. And obviously, they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and that helps quite a lot. But they made a lot of the right moves around that for everything to work out. So I'm on the team of let's let's recognize owners, but specifically these owners, because none of it happens without them. Before we move on from this part, there's one other detail I want to touch on with this, and it's a conversation as three of us had on a podcast a long time ago. I mean, if Ty was on it as well, that probably suggests it was long ago to begin with. Hmm. But way, way back, we did a podcast just on, I guess, the psyche of Wisconsin sports and the way that Fans are distributed the way people feel about different teams. I found it really, really interesting, the whole... The way the Packers even really controlled how the books came about. That their sort of influence over the the entire state was so complete that that's the only reason, really, that we had the books. The only reason that a professional basketball team came to Milwaukee at that time, of course it could have happened later, but at that time that was the only reason. There's a great interview, it was in in a piece I wrote earlier in the week on the foundation of the team, but there's a great video interview, it's about 25 minutes long, with Marvin Fishman, one of the original owners, where he talks in detail about the whole Vince Lombardi aspect of the original deal and as all of the Packers related influence in that, it's worth checking out. At that time though, the Packers regularly played games in Milwaukee. Once or twice a season was guaranteed for a long, long time. And 
in the interview, I want to say the interview took place at the end of the 90s, Marvin Fishman was asked, how do you feel now about that whole... The way all of that played out, seeing as the Packers don't play regular season games at all in Milwaukee anymore. As natives of the area, how do you feel about that whole thing? From I know the Packers are so long established and they're a Green Bay's team and whatever, they're the state's team for the most part. But we've talked about just how dominant their influence is and how it probably hurts the books, definitely hurts the books, and to a lesser extent, maybe the Brewers. I don't know, what, what do you feel when everything, like when you can trace back the start of the books to the Packers saying no to an AFL team? We've talked about in the past the way there's nearly these divides in the state about people who will be Packer fans above everything else, and then those who are maybe a little bit more open and both of you suggested at the time that there might be a sort of Milwaukee versus the rest of the state vibe for the most part obviously that's a generalization some of this feels like it would feed into that is that a fair reading of it is there maybe historical roots that at that time at least I didn't previously know about that might feed into that whole atmosphere in the state I mean I think Jordan is probably gonna have better things to say on this than I will. No pressure, I mean, Jordan. No pressure. It sounds to me, though, more like this was kind of more business than like a territorial thing, just because, I, I mean, if you can't put an NHL team in Milwaukee because it's too close to the Blackhawks, you certainly can't put a football team in Milwaukee when you already got the Packers there. And like you said, they played home games there at the time. I mean, they don't even do that anymore, and Milwaukee's crazy about the Packers. So, I mean, Lombardi didn't want his business being affected, but he might have been doing Fishman a favor. Like, I don't think that team lasts. I mean, obviously the AFL didn't. Some of the teams survived to the modern era. But uh, it, it might have been good overall for Fishman that – it was obviously good for Bucks fans, but the, for his finances that the football team never happened, I don't, I don't think it would ever catch on. Um, there's certainly a little bit of like Milwaukee, kind of like Milwaukee and Madison versus everybody. I think it's seen as sometimes like, I know they don't want to put the D league team in Madison because they're trying to expand their fan base out of those two cities. Um, I don't know though. I feel like they're, the areas are kind of brought together. I mean, like it's pretty rare for someone from Milwaukee to be like F the Packers. They're not in Milwaukee. So, I mean, I think that there's like, that's, like that's little just, things thrown that's just around. you, basically. Yeah? It's just me, yeah. I was, <laughs> it's pretty much just me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's really that big of a deal. I think people generally, like, there's, like, little jokes thrown around. I'm sure it's like that in Ireland, too, and in everywhere. Like, you you guys are probably like, you know, oh, Dublin, they're like this. I, I, I don't even want to guess at what you would say. I have no idea. Yeah, there, there is. There is that. You, you, you definitely would have any idea. But you're right. There is that sort of thing everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. I mean, this is really – it's just be like if Green Bay right now was calling up the NBA like, hey, we're interested, the Bucks would be like, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. I would agree. I think it's a lot of it is mostly business, um, and the fact that Milwaukee and Green Bay, like what hour and a half 
two hours away, somewhere in between there. So I, I think it was mostly a business thing, but also it does it is interesting from my perspective as a Packers kind of uh, I don't know what to, not a skeptic, but just kind of a fading Packers fan. Um, I don't know. I just think it's funny how it is, like you said, like the fact that they even had a tie to the Bucks being in creative is still kind of interesting. And at that time, too, you have to remember the Brewers weren't even uh, a thing. They were – Braves are moved in 1950 – no, is it 1957? Uh, Don't look at us. Do not look at us. Uh, it's somewhere around there. Back, the Brewers came back in the 60s. It was the 70s? Their first year back was 70, I want to say. Okay, okay so okay. similar time frame, really, to the book. Yeah, a, a year separated, but yeah. It is It is a little funny uh, that it does have some effect on the Bucks being made. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the outsider, so maybe I just find it more interesting, but it really just, their fingertips do seem to be in everything. Like I, I see the business side of it, but I don't know. I obviously hearing it from Marvin Fishman's side is going to be a particularly biased account because he wanted an AFL team, so <laughs> he's not going to paint it in the most objective way. But I do feel like there's something. If there's a business angle, as you mentioned, right, the AFL, of course, it failed, but without knowing too much about the history. I could probably see why it would fail well, if the I mean, Lombardi-esque figures in different cities. Technically, there was a merger. Technically, yeah, there was a merger. Yeah. That's that's a great so it's, way. It's of hard it to fail, say it's though. it's failed. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's the NBA obviously won out and kept the name and all that. But I mean, uh, it's uh, technically you didn't fold. It wasn't like the the ABA folded, right? No, they merged. Was that they a merger merged. too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But they did. I don't think they had nearly as many teams. Uh, I mean, they overs. they merged when teams had already started sort of shipping over. Exactly, they merged. I did air quotes. Only yeah, it's it's the same sort of thing. It's really merged. they know if they want to stay alive in any way, they, well, you're gonna have to become a part of this bigger monster over here. It's just I want to make a correction. The Braves left in 1965. 1957 was actually the year that they won the World Series. Yeah. Yeah, I I can only say that Ty and I were really glad of just your your pinpoint baseball correction there. Yeah, it was like I threw a strike over the plate. If only Andrew Snyder was here. I watched I watched uh, some baseball earlier for the first time ever. I was I was listening. I'll do this because he's here. I'll do him these things. I was listening to the latest time out with Ty. Um, <laughs> Which featured Andrew Snyder, uh, who I want to say has probably made as many winning six appearances as Ty. Uh, he was with the side for about a month. But Andrew is a good friend of ours, and they talk baseball. And they talk basically why baseball is failing. As someone who has never really got baseball, I'm being very kind and saying I never really got baseball. Uh, and, okay, well, there's was, no crying in baseball. We all know that. I mean. It's a movie reference. Yeah, it was I just kind it. of a hang there for a minute. Just like that. So go. I said, yeah, okay. Give it a listen. And it was enjoyable. Well, I did so. I watched some baseball. Um, and the Cardinals were playing. 
Pittsburgh seems at the Pirates. Yeah. Um, Cardinals are playing the Pirates. Uh, they have this. ESPN have this weird graphic that I'd never seen before in baseball footage of yesteryear that I had obviously come across. <laughs> that looks like a glass panel behind the batter. The the strike zone. Yeah. Oh yeah, the strike zone. That's what Andrew reliably informed me it was called. But I found it really off putting. I don't need that. The best part is it's it's always wrong. Yeah, like, I, I heard always, that. Always, <laughs> always, always wrong. Yeah, it's like, always an inch or two off. So my contribution to the why baseball is declining in popularity is the strike zone. Yeah. It's really yeah. really annoying. I don't need that. That's like when in the NBA when they the line they lit up the three point, three point line. line. Oh, God, that was horrible. Like, don't do that. There's no. We can all see the three point line. <laughs> if we can't, there's like referees or in baseball's case, there's an umpire to tell us what happened. So we'll figure yeah. it out pretty quickly. We don't need that. <laughs> I would enjoy it though. If say like ABC for the next finals, they do it like NBA Jam style. Like so, when like someone shoots a three, there's like fire coming out of the ball. As it's going closer to the hoop. Then again, you had that would be terrible if it was like a miss. That's probably not a good idea. No, probably not, Jordan. It's probably horrible. (laughs) Unless if they knew how things were going to happen, they scripted it. Sorry. Tape delay. Kind of moving on from history, but staying there a little bit. That's sort of late sixties, early seventies. Next week, we will move on through the rest of the seventies, probably into the early eighties. Um, you'll get how we're progressing this. It won't be rocket science. You'll figure it out pretty quickly. I did a piece today, once again, as part of our history month, where I ranked my list of top 10 books, point guards of all time. Garbage list. Mm-mm. And no one's really said that, but I expected it from you. Ah. Uh, We'll get to that in a minute. I won't, I won't even tell you what Ty is is showing us right now. That sounds weird. Yeah, but okay, come on you'll, now. <laughs> you'll get a better sense when he starts moaning in a minute, I guess. Whoa. What I'll do is I'll run through my list, and then we can talk about the inevitable disagreements. At 10, and I'd like to say that I sent Jordan a message earlier saying that I thought I was going to have to do this because I couldn't really find any other options I felt comfortable with, is less than half a season wonder, Gary Payton. And, of course, you asked me this because I own his jersey. Yeah, I, I decided <laughs> to consult the only person I knew who owns a Gary Payton books jersey. Yes. At nine, I went with TJ Ford. Another jersey I own. <laughs> At eight, I went with Mo Williams. Are we in the clear, Jordan? I do not own his jersey. Got to get on eBay after this. <laughs> At seven, Brandon Jennings. <sighs> At six, maybe it was, it was a slightly hot take for me, but I went with Flynn Robinson. Five, Jay Humphreys. Four, the Man of Steel, one of my favorite NBA nicknames, Eric Murdoch. That'd be Steel with an A. A. A tree. Current Pacers commentator, former books point guard, Quinn Buckner. Aptly named. Very aptly named. 
And there'll be no surprises from here. At number two, Sam I Am, Sam Cassell. At number one, the big O, Oscar Robertson. I'll start with Jordan because it just it's better for everyone involved. Jordan, what are your takes on the on my list, first of all? Any major disagreement in rankings, in exclusions, inclusions? Um, well, I like the list. And I felt, in particular, the video that you had for Mo Williams was exactly the first memory. I remember watching that game. And, uh, yeah, I like that. That's a good video. Um, well, let's just think of Bucks point guards that you are missing out on. Missing There's out not a lot. I've, I've nearly, like, 10 is a challenge because you've nearly gone through the entire library of Bucks point guards. That is true. Terrell Brandon, we got to give him some uh, – there was a brief – I'm already laughing. Yeah, please don't laugh. This is my Bucks fandom <laughs> in a nutshell. Terrell Brandon, Earl Boykins, two-timer, two stints, I believe. Uh, I was just going to make jokes about guys that didn't really play. Lizzie Hunter actually was, I guess, fine – I guess fine doesn't make a top 10 point guards <laughs> ever to play for a franchise list. Well, he wasn't a starter, but he was on the he was on the big three team. It was a good shooter. Um, of course, you know, like Tyler Ennis, but let's, let's get ahead of ourselves. Uh, I don't know. Um, Nate Walters, I guess more just cult figures than anything. Than, but yeah, I would agree. I like the list. I do. I know there is... Uh, I've seen one name. Was it Sherman Douglas? That was one name. That was one name. What was the other one? Oh, the man. other name. The other name. When we turn over to Ty Windish in a second. Oh yeah. Well, we'll yeah. quickly get an answer to. Terrell that... Brandon. By the way, I laughed at Terrell Brandon. The only reason Terrell Brandon uh, wasn't. The reason I didn't include him, maybe I should have, considering some of the others, was it was a pretty brief spell. It was longer than Gary Payton's. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> like... in the end, Payton just edged him because he scored more points. Yeah. But Trail Brandon is the leading guard all time in terms of assists per game average for the books. Which 7. is 7.6 assists per game. Which is impressive, considering that. Uh... And 98, 99, though, that's a pretty... Uh, I suppose it's an improving team, but still pretty bad. Yes. So that's also a factor in why Ty's biggest problem with the list isn't on the list. But let's get to Ty. Ty, your feelings on the list. I think overall it is a solid list. But at that same time, like, how does Gary Payton make it before my man, Brandon Knight, who, here are some numbers. Brandon Knight compared to Brandon Jennings. More points per game, Brandon Knight. More assists per game, Brandon Knight. Better field goal percentage and three-point percentage, Brandon Knight. So, and free throw percentage for those of you who like free throws. Like, he was on the team that won 41 games almost, <laughs> most of it. What was the other team he was on? Because this is a big part in the He decision. was on the team. That earned the Bucks Giannis Atetokounmpo. No, he wasn't on that team. No. He was on the team who earned Jabari. 
Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. See, that's right. Brandon Knight only lasted a season and a half, and his only full season. His numbers were very nice, so I'll admit, on the worst team in franchise history. I mean, I mean, yeah, but he did what he could. Oh come on, Ty. I know he's here. What, I know. Mean, I like Brandon. Do you know Knight. how hurt they were? Do you know how injured they were? Yeah, but they like, were. What just... did you expect from Brandon Knight? I think we all were hurt by the end of that season. Honestly, what what shaded it for Gary Payton for me? <laughs> I understand all the reasons why Gary Payton should not be on any list like this, but in spite of how he arrived with the books in a ridiculous trade for Allen, in spite of how he left like four months later in free agency, he played really well for that short period of time he was with the team, including in the playoffs. How many playoff appearances did Brandon Knight make for the books? He should have had one. He also played he played ninety-six more games with the team than Gary Payton did. I know, I know. And Payton's games was the part which really made me want to exclude him. Um I, I to be fair, I slept on Terrell Brandon. It was between Brandon Knight and Sherman Douglas. You already had a quota. You already had a quota of Brandons. Yeah, yeah. we could say that. <laughs> um it was between Brandon Knight and Sherman Douglas if I was gonna leave Gary Payton. Now at the end of it I went 19.6 points, 7.4 assists, 3.1 rebounds, and 1.4 steals. Hey, man, he's on my greatest bucks list. Like, I realize that it gets thin after a while. It gets... He might get bumped off when I redo it, but... <laughs> There's no chance of that. We could say things like that, but try to put together 50 greatest books. And... No, but I mean, like, the t- the bottom couple, because, like, Chris Middleton, I'm not sure, made it before last year, and he's going to make it. Yeah, that's true. I guess some of the younger guys will come up through it. And Jabari might make Maybe Chris did. I don't, I don't think Jabari did, though. So, like, those guys are going to bump off a couple. Like, right now, I think 50 is Kent Benson. Kent Benson's going to get sent home. Oh, that's, I mean. Bent Kenson. <laughs> maybe we need to reassess Kent Benson's case. Maybe he needs to be upped. That's something for another time. 50 greatest players will probably be later in the year we revisit that. 50, 50 greatest punch oh. takers. He can be number one. <laughs> well, great. While Gary Payne may get off of, or bumped off list, his jersey will remain safe in my drawer. In your drawer? Come on, Jordan. You've got to wear it. Uh, it's older. How about, okay, how about you take a picture of you in your Gary Payton books jersey and set it as your Twitter avatar. Maybe that's a compromise we'd all settle for at this stage. Now that the Delhi picture still hasn't happened. Well, well, I, don't, well, I don't know if you're up to date on the Delhi picture. I know I'm you're not. not. You're, I'm not. You don't even listen, people. But <laughs> Jordan promised way, way back when he was beset by Delhi fever, heading into free agency, if the book signed Delvadova, I'll recreate the Delvadova, the famous Corona Extra picture after the Cavs won the championship, set it as my Twitter avatar. Okay, that's fine. That happens. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. Then, a couple of weeks ago, Jordan came to me and said, you know, it'd be fun. I'd, uh, why don't I host the show sometime? Why don't I host the <laughs> podcast? And I've got some ideas and some things I could do and it's like, yeah, you know, that's cool. If you want to do that, you go, you take the deadly picture, <laughs> and then we'll talk. And so last, that must week, have been... so last week, I had to present again. This week, I have to present again. 
We're retooling. We're retooling the or what I have in store, but um. Yeah. yeah, if you're a regular listener, you know by now, but the hashtag is hashtag Delhi Picture Now. Um, Jordan Tresky's handle is at Jordan Tresky. Uh, really, as many tweets as you can send them. <laughs> you know who you are, people who are going to do this. So as many tweets as you can send them. Right. I must have missed that episode. That must have been the one episode I missed. Oh, uh, yeah. The one episode you missed. <laughs> that, that's me pulling a, that's me pulling I, a West. What if I take a picture? Oh, never mind. <laughs> just so you get that West Pavilion reference I just dropped, which was fire, which you won't because he's not known enough about. One of his quote-unquote scams that he perpetrated growing up was that he would sell advertising space on jerseys of like – baseball teams and stuff like real local like small time ones and no one would ever come to check and if they did the jersey that they bought the advertisement on that guy was home that day so you don't get to see it to be exact West there was, there was one season where i if i'm remembering correctly they sold 217 sponsorships for jerseys <laughs> yeah not one sponsor appeared on any jersey hmm why is the man not celebrated? I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Self-made man, the West Pavilion story. There you go. Written by it Chris Dolgebar. Yeah. R for, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked with Gary Payton. I want to talk with some of these guys individually. Um, I, I don't feel like I knew as much about TJ Ford as I probably should have known. Oh, God. Uh, that was a particularly like grim, boxy situation, wasn't it? Yes. He really oh. could have been. He was something. there. He was gonna be there. I this is, this is great. I feel like we're touching like the nerve where Jordan gets emotional. Here it is. Here it is. This is the point. Okay, Jordan, you've been waiting. We've done seventy-three episodes up till now. Now is your chance to let out all your TJ Four feelings. Ah. Uh. It, uh, it's just going to be like unintelligible, just like grumbling. This is my grumble session. This is the one for the um, Jordan Tresky soundboard. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot that was a thing that we tried to do. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, TJ, I just, uh, TJ Ford. It was coming after the season where he got drafted after Gary Payton, the Ray Allen Gary Payton trade. And he. If you look at his numbers now, they're kind of like, oh, why are you getting excited about them? Because they weren't – they were okay. I mean, obviously, he was a rookie player. But uh, they were, it just felt like there was more, much more promise there than what numbers suggest. And then uh, – He was a real playmaker, right? I mean, I think that's, yes. that's part of why maybe the numbers – a lot of people, if they don't see – points. If they don't see high points per game, the numbers don't look that impressive. But the thing with TJ Ford was he looked like a guy who could have gone on to average not a triple-double, but somewhere in the range where you're sort of close enough where there could be a few triple-doubles a season. I would. I, I think if, this might be a product of me being like super hyped on it, but I would want to say like a a reasonable comparison of him is kind of like Emmanuel Moutier. Because he was – if you really think about it, he was, like, really athletic. He did, like, 
he's only what six feet tall, maybe if that. I mean, he was a very slight guy. Well, Moody is much more taller and physical. I think Farr might be a tiny but, bit taller, but yeah, you're right. His frame was like way for ten. Yeah, and he he would like do. There's I want to say there's a couple of YouTube videos of like like really athletic dunks for his size and stuff like that. So it just it felt like everything was like kind of going to a spot. Like it felt like oh this is a really like natural pairing next to Michael Red, and of course his terrible injury. Fortunately, he was able to bounce back to a point, but then I think that's actually he ended his career getting he hurt his back again. He's, he finished yeah, uh, like, playing at twenty eight um, with the Spurs. Yeah. He played briefly before finishing. That's right. Game. Yeah. They could still bring him back. He's only 33. Yeah. Don't feel Jordan's dreams, I thought. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't, maybe more recent fans aren't that familiar, um, TJ Ford, basically, was, it's was a freak injury. It's The thing that I found most striking, because I, I'm sure I'd seen it before, but watching it today was that and the Bogut injury. Yes. Both of them were just so weird. And you, you have to remember too. Well, the, the, and this one's not as freak, but like Michael Red tears the ACL in the same day two years in a row. Even though he was on his, actually, he wasn't really on the downslope of his career, but he was on the downslope. Yeah, exactly. Basically, just fast tracked to it. But in that time span, like these <laughs> really like cornerstone guys are what everybody thought would be made more so. In, TJ Ford's case, it was just like, oh my god! It, but it doesn't—it cool. doesn't necessarily sound like it now. But if everyone pans out and everyone's healthy, TJ Ford, Michael Red, Bogut could have been a pretty oh formidable trio, mm-hmm. and a really nice fit for each other as well. Yes, yes, definitely. So I mean, we have a few more names in this list, so that's like the first story of woe. Um, <laughs> Mo Williams on this one I don't know if there's reason to be sad I, I sort of feel like the books dodged a bullet on Mo Williams when they decided to move him on after extending him whether it was popular at the time I'm not sure I'm going to guess it probably wasn't because they basically salary dumped the guy who went on to become an all-star the next year um, but but he was uh playing with LeBron All Star. Yeah, I know he was, but I mean his his numbers in Milwaukee were towards that stage they were sort of legitimate All Star level numbers. He was averaging like nineteen points per game, mm-hmm. um, nearly twenty his final two seasons. Like for his entire time with the books, he averaged seventeen points and just under six assists. Like he was legitimately really really good. But at the same time, I just I don't know, there's lots of guys we still talk about in that way now, but I don't know if Mo Williams was like the best player in your team, how good you could be. And I don't know. I think that's evidence of where those those Bucks teams were. But I don't know how well suited he is to being a second best player unless you have a LeBron who can completely mm-hmm. overwhelm. And even on those LeBron teams Right, he was sort of the second banana, but they had like Ilgauskas, our aging Shaq. They had 
they had other guys there to sort of tie that together. And it might say something for the makeup of those teams that in that iteration, the Cavs could never get over the line. So I don't know, maybe I'm a little harsh on that, but I feel like moving away from Mo Williams and his, I want to say it was six years, 54 million or 56 million contract he signed. Um, I feel that was dodging a bullet. I'm, I, could be wrong on this because I'm just doing it off the top of my head, but am I right in saying that he signed the extension just before Hammond came in and trading him was an early sort of Hammond? I, I want to say that was like one of his first ones. That's definitely a Jordan thing. That is not a well, that was also This is also like the time where I was kind of fading in and out of my... You never recovered from the TJ Ford fall, basically. No. Until more recently. So you did eventually. I mean, if you look at it, like the Bucks have had a super unfortunate injury history, and I'm sure, you know, Portland fans right now are like, hey, F you. But, I mean, you look at it, and this has never really been talked about much, and it's, it's all pure speculation, which is my strong suit. But, like, the, the Kareem trade – happened the year after he had his worst season with the Bucks, and he was there all year and what happened was he broke his hand before the season started I think he punched a stanchion and broke his hand and he only missed 16 games and the Bucks went 3 and 13 in that span and they ended up winning like 38 games and you know under 500 horrible season that off season is when he decides you know maybe Milwaukee's not the town for me Mm, and I mean, that's, not, that's certainly a legitimate thing. Not that's exactly. Cert- okay. He actually, okay, I only read this earlier. So, just sorry to cut across you, but to correct you on it, he had said to them he wanted to be traded, and then he broke his hand, so they had to put it on the back burner for the guts of a year. So, seemingly, and you're right, he was. It was at that point, sort of coming into that, that he had it. He was already in that year. mindset. Yeah, it was definitely Kareem was sort of starting was, to be healthy. was, but you think about it, he stays healthy. They let's say they go and win a title that year. Is there a chance he stays? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he Even still if wants he to doesn't. I mean, they've got two titles out of him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's still it's obviously huge either way. But I mean, like, I'm not saying there's any scenario where he wants to stay any longer than that. But like that injury, I mean, that that tanked their last Kareem season and made it the last Kareem season for sure. Like, there's no way if he has thoughts of leaving before that year and the team is just pathetic without him, he's going to be like, maybe I should stay. There's a lot to offer to me here. Like, no, he was going to be out for sure after that. So, I mean, it's not like the Bucks recent, not just recently, but through all of franchise history pretty much, not been the most fortunate team with injuries. But, I mean, I'm sure any team could compile a list like this. Yeah, but I think you're right. The the Blazers have a great case. But I think the difference with Brandon Roy and Greg Oden, uh, I mean, the Blazers can go back further than that as well. Yeah, I was going to say Bill Walton yeah, too. That's probably the biggest one, really. Uh, but if you take like Roy and Oden, they both were going to have to be the central pieces of that team. The thing with the books is it's easy to make fun of them for being mediocre, but they've managed to be mediocre in spite of injuries, where it's like, if they didn't have the injuries throughout multiple decades, they would have teams that could have been a little bit better. And on the surface, that doesn't sound all that appealing. But let's say TJ Ford doesn't hit sort of 
the max potential, the sort of dream scenario that Jordan still cries over until the, to this day, if he's just really sort of good and solid, we talked about it earlier, Flynn Robinson got them Oscar Robertson. It's mm-hmm. like those sort of players, if they just elevate you to another level where a free agent might decide to go to Milwaukee, we know how rare that has been and how it hasn't generally worked for the best. Um, or if someone just is good enough that you can trade them for the piece you need. Brandon Knight got us Miles Plumley, so I yeah. Good I mean, him. I give all credit to Brandon Jennings. I, in my write-up on Brandon Jennings' piece, I did sort of. I sent a little bit of shade Brandon Jennings' way, saying that the first time he ever did anything for the books in terms of efficiency was when. I mean it's 100% true the most efficient thing Brandon Jennings ever did was bring Chris Middleton to Milwaukee talking about Brandon Jennings this was something I sort of once again jokingly put into the piece but in the time since I've been thinking about it quite a bit and it really fascinates me Brandon Jennings literally peaked two weeks into his NBA career yeah, he pulled a he pulled a Michael Carter Williams. I I don't think I don't think you can even call it that. I don't think anyone will ever come close to it again. Like his second game, he I think he finished with twenty three, twenty three nine and nine. And then two weeks later, he went off for his fifty five points. That video is amazing, by the way. Just pass me of a Glockman just going nuts. Look out, look out. He, I, there's so many lookouts <laughs> in that video. It's not even funny. But think about now. That's because he was well, he was a 10th overall pick. That's like yeah. Ton Maker comes in and goes for a 55-point game two weeks into the season. Mm-hmm. People would lose their minds. It's it, so... I mean, if you think about the last, like, 15 years, I, I mean, Michael Red had, like, 57 points. Obviously, Yadis had triple-doubles, but... I think that game, the Michael Wright game where he goes off for 57 points, they end up losing the game, which kind of, in my mind, sums up Michael Red's Bucks career, unfortunately. But <laughs> uh, Brandon Jennings, like that, like, and just be, like you said, like being a rookie, all this stuff, it's November 14th. It's not, and the Warriors weren't even that good of a team. If you remember the team, there was rookie, it was uh, Steph Curry in his rookie year, Monte Ellis. I mean, some of the names that they throw out there, man, are just insane. Steven Jackson think, was on that team, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I can see him in that horrible old Warriors jersey. Yeah, with that <laughs> orange, like the peach. Yeah, but like right. that, like I think that has to be probably the best or like craziest Bucks performance, like single game performance ever, just because of all like. Like you said, being rookie, all that stuff. Like it does. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I think I think it surpasses anything. Like Kareem had some insane games. But he was Kareem. But he had, totally he had better Kareem. games. They were technically like we did this. I don't know if it was you or me. I, I think it was actually me that late last year we ranked individual books performances, and the bulk of the top ten is Kareem, and I'm very certain Kareem is number one, because technically he had the best games. But there's no moment that's like gonna capture people like Brandon Jennings' 55 point game. And he had some like other like obviously not to that degree, but he would just when Brandon Jennings got hot, it was like I mean we the last like big moment of his career was like that with the Pistons where he had like that 
two month span before he tore his Achilles at the Bucks. So I forgot about that. Um, yeah. But he was he's I mean he's the perfect like streaky shooter that that when he gets hot he gets hot and when he's cold then. That's amazing when you mention Steph Curry. Because imagine, say, at that game, if you had told someone, yeah, one of the guys in this game is basically going to change the way the NBA is. Mm -hmm. If you said that to everyone in the building that night, no one is going to Steph Curry. Everyone thinks it's Brandon Jennings. Uh, Well, I would have said Roko (laughs) Ukic. Of course you would, Jordan. Yeah. We'll and talk Monte, about I was at that at that game too. I was thinking like, I need to play with him. I need it. We'll Come talk on. about this in greater detail when we get to the, I don't know the two thousands, pod a few weeks from now. <laughs> but just while we're on the subject of Brandon Jennings, could he have been more with the books if they hadn't have teamed him up with Monte Ellis? Oh, for sure. I think so. Like I think that just. That kills... You can have one of those guys. For example, if Chris Middleton that we see now had come along at the time and he was Brandon Jennings' backcourt mate instead of Monte Ellis. You know what I mean? If they had that type of player. If Michael Red was younger so that he was still the Michael Red he was carrying through. I, I just... I don't think it works to a point where the books are a contender with Brandon Jennings. But I do think they could have been something a lot more than what they were with him as a piece if they hadn't just like torpedoed the whole ship by bringing in Montales. Yeah, yeah, I think, and it's crazy, like a shooter. Yeah, it's crazy too because it's just I don't know. It's weird to me because of what he means to the Bucks and mostly a bad way now. Um, But he's only like twenty-seven. That's insane. Yeah. He's not that old. Like, I mean, theoretically, you'd be entering the prime of his career if you kind of, if on a more uh, usual path. But obviously, injury came in. But it's still like that's still nuts to me. This guy, he's still so young, but it feels like that game was almost seven years ago. That'll be seven years ago this year, and that's still just nuts. And this this gonna sound like a joke, but I'm not joking. This year he he's gonna have a real chance to actually show that he still has something left because Derrick Rose is gonna get injured. Yeah, let's, let's be real. He could it could be five games into the season, and then Brandon Jennings could have a starter's job for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's tough to write him off completely. He's got talent. When they made that signing, I was like, that's fantastic. Oh, I mean, at that price, the Knicks made a lot of weird signings. That is one of their better ones, just because mm-hmm. what do you really have to lose on that one? Yeah. Side note, but just we'd like to talk workouts, and we get to more current things later. Oh boy. Did, did you see which Nick, Miles Plumley? Miles Plumley gets around with workouts. Yes. Did you see who he was working out with today or recently, whenever the picture was taken? Joe Kim Noah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, uh, I could not be more excited about Miles Plumley. You, you just you gotta respect though because I mean he, whatever whatever Noah is now Noah has a bit of know how right he's been Noah, around just, a, just yeah. a bit former defensive player of the year what was he like third or second in MVP voting I one year third in MVP fifth was it was it fifth damn yeah. you Jordan third sounds better we go with third uh, <laughs> but still for a guy who what does he score like thirteen points a game 
Yeah, he. I mean, that year like, he was but, close to like a triple double for yeah. a good but, stretch. It was like a Draymond Green stat line from last year. Or but still, like I don't think Draymond placed at all at MVP. Like it's tough. Like you have to be really good if you're one of those guys to get MVP mm-hmm. voting. Like a defensive first player like that. Like that's that's really hard to get considered. Like you know, MVP goes. All right, who's the leading scorer on the best team? If we can't pick that guy for someone, then we'll consider other people. I just respect how, like, last year, Plumley appears in photos on a beach somewhere with Tim Duncan. This year, it's just like he's working out with Noah. He really – the guy knows how to network. Mm-hmm. Moving on. That's, I mean, that's important. That's an important <laughs> skill. It, I would have put it as less important if you're an NBA player, but I think Miles Plumley could be proving me wrong. Yeah, all these secrets he's learning. Moving on to some of the other books. I'm going to skip over quite a few because the common theme when I got towards the top of this list was basically solid but unspectacular guys who were just a safe pair of hands. And I know this in the intro to the piece. Something that's weird with the books is their point guard history. And it's not just because the books have done terrible jobs of identifying point guards or trading for them, even though that is a factor in it. It's they've had so many guys down the year who could initiate the offense without being point guards. You look at Sidney Moncrief, Marcus Johnson, Paul Pressey, now obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You've got so many good point guards who weren't actually all that special in terms of what they did for the team. So the likes of Flame Robinson. Um, Jay Humphreys, Eric Murdoch, Quinn Buckner. Quinn Buckner. Those guys were all really sort of steady, important players in the teams they were on. Some of those teams were pretty bad. <laughs> Most of that group were unfortunate. They sort of ended up on books teams that were in between winning spells. Um, but then we move up towards the top of the list. Do you think now Sam, Sam Cassell gets overlooked in terms of his contributions and his importance, that big tree team? Yeah, yes. I, feel like people, I feel like people forget he's one of the three. I, Honestly, I think a big part, like... obviously, Glenn Robinson was a number one overall pick, so that always stands out. Ray Allen went on to be the biggest star, and I guess had, he had the, the greatest longevity, I guess the fact that we were talking about him maybe coming back only a matter of weeks ago sort of speaks to that, be the greatest longevity out of him. So he became the biggest star. Glenn Robinson was the number one overall pick. I mean, Sam Cassell was a three-time champion? Definitely two. I want to say Sorry, yeah, because the last year he was Celt- with the Celtics. Yeah, he picked up with the Celtics. Yeah. Um, so more championship rings than either of them. Um, his numbers with the books, I mean, at his peak... He played at a level with the books that I'm not sure, looking back now or even at the time, anyone would have said, yeah, that was his level. Once again, you're talking nearly 20 points a game, 8 assists. That wasn't just sort of... They were the big tree for a reason. He wasn't the third piece. They were really all the big tree, and I I don't feel like history necessarily remembers it like that. I do. (laughs) This fun fact... One of my first uh, things I wrote for for Behind the Webcast was about Sam Cassell. Oh, I remember. I this. remember that piece, and I did. Because I, I it was, forgotten it was you. Yeah. 
Was that a piece because, on guys who had worn the number 10 jersey? I think that was one of my ideas, but then it formed it because I was just going to basically just write about most of them. <laughs> but I was like, because it's been a n- number that many people have used, but the one, and this is no disrespect to Bob Pantridge, obviously, but the one who I grew up with, number 10, was Sam Cassell. And he was, you know, a really good player. Uh, and obviously when he came, it kind of formed everything together. And I would argue, I put it at number one over Big O. Um, I know, I know. But I'm just saying that's I, why. No, no, I, to be fair, I, I, I think you're actually right. I mean, if we're just measuring contribution – Production, maybe, is the better way to put it. Production for the Production, period. and if you throw, if you don't, like, look at, uh, you know, other factors. Obviously, Oscar Robinson is one of the best players to ever play in the NBA. And Sam Cassell was a solid uh, player at, in his, at his best. But if you throw out, like, context and all that stuff, Sam Cassell was, I would say, a better, like, producer when he was in Milwaukee. Yeah, but uh, I think the only the only reason where it, it doesn't come close to me, and maybe it's easier for me because I don't have the romantic notions of Cassell that you clearly do have. Yes. It's that Oscar was the piece that pushed them over the edge. Yeah, that's right. I, I do think he was good enough at the time that he could still have done more than he did as well. I... I I think Oscar could probably have gone off for whatever he wanted, whenever well, I mean, he wanted. But he was on a team with Kareem, Johnny Mack, Dandridge. Uh, yeah. That that wasn't a like a, a bum team. He didn't just have one or two pieces around him. That was a stacked roster. Yeah, like mm-hmm. we'll get to this more when I do my section on the seventy one finals, but it was interesting because during the regular season, I wanna say him and Dandridge were both eighteen 18 point something each points per game. It wasn't the exact same, but they were both on 18 something. And, you know, Kareem was always like like 32. But in the finals against the Bullets, their best player was Wes Unseld, who was a terrific defender, actually out-rebounded Kareem. His shot numbers went down, but his field goal percentage went up. And both Dandridge and the Big O scored over 20 points per game in that series. Like there was definitely another gear that they could have both gone to. That during the regular season, they were kind of like, just let Kareem do it. You know, he's the young one. Let Kareem do it all. But during the finals, when it really mattered and when Unseld was out there, both of them took larger roles. And obviously, they both excelled. I mean, they dominated the bullets in that series. You probably notice, uh, you know, I'll, I'll hold off on it because you'll be getting to it in literally about 30 seconds. Just before we move off of this, I want to go back in time to the 11th of March, 2015. And I'm going to quote Jordan Tresky on Sam Cassell. Are you confident that you still your your feelings hold true, Jordan? Well, what is what is the quote? <laughs> That's not how it works. Are you door, confident? It's real. Tell me, and then I'll answer. Well, I've never confidence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to quote the one and only Jordan Tresky, <laughs> like Dandridge, Cassell was the sidekick. Although both were great players, they had better players around them. But they were better when Dandridge and Cassell were around them, respectively. They both played to their strengths, and while they found success elsewhere, each of them helped create their own areas of books basketball. Though only Dandridge has a championship to show for it. 
As of Saturday night, Dandridge's name hangs from the rafters, along with the number he helped immortalize. But Cassell will forever be linked to the number 10 of Milwaukee. Boom. It is that's good, yeah. It's good, I mean... That was, I, that was, my, was that my like, second thing I wrote? I, I don't know, but I'm I'm going to have a serious talk with you. I think you've regressed, Jordan. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, damn. That's the, that was the Bill Shakespeare, and now I'm like... Uh, uh, I don't know current writer, book writer. James Patterson. <laughs> well, that don't is quite the regression. I mean, that don't is... Don't talk yeah. trash about James Patterson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. William Shakespeare to James Patterson is... Like two week Brandon Jennings to theme <laughs> Brandon Jennings regression. Anyway, that's funny. That's funny because like someone asked me what books I like, and those were two of like the five authors I listed. I cover all my like bases. You don't read books, Ty. I have so many. I have I have the complete works of William Shakespeare, and I have like twenty James Patterson books. They're good reads. Do you have Dean Koontz? That's another guy. I have Dean Koontz. Aside from the Win and Six Book Club. Ooh, <laughs> we could do oh my god. Oh, makes, why'd you say that? That would be fun. That would uh Epe Udo. Fun fact, fun fact. One of the oh, best things. Is. Yeah, I know I know about this fact. This is great. One of the best things well actually maybe the only best thing about that horrible, horrible season, fifteen week season. Epe Udo started a book club and it largely was more successful than his encore production. <laughs> Oh. oh, it was. I am sorry. He is gonna write you a book. I I like. Yeah, I think he's I more likely to read that. Jordan a book. Yeah, he would read one. He would read my book. It's called... He's gonna close the book on Jordan. Yeah. Hashtag book club. Yes, book club. No. No, no, no. no let's not do this. <laughs> I reverse <laughs> my stance on the book. It would be Jordan's responsibility because he was the one who said it was a good idea. So. Because I feel like it's an omen that we're going to have a 15-win season because I only associate with Wow, the superstition. Anyway. Yeah. Steve Wonder. Our last piece of history for this week. <laughs> Ty Windish, you wrote about that faithful, that definitive 1971 championship season today. Yeah. It was seeing, as you're, seeing as you're here, I'm going to pass the reins over. I'm going to pass the microphone to you and let you host for a few minutes. Don't get carried away. But the mic is yours. Thank you. Let's talk about the 1971 NBA Finals. To put this into perspective, we're going to widen out a little bit real quick. The thing that people don't realize about the early Bucks, probably because they got the first overall pick in the 69 NBA draft is that they were good for an expansion team. Marv Fishman talked about this in an interview in one of Adam's pieces he's done this week, but the bucks for a while, and I, I didn't check who beat bested them, but for like decades, they were the best ever first season by an expansion team. The first year of existing, like they weren't horrible. They were significantly better than the Phoenix suns who ended up losing the first pick to Milwaukee just because back then the lottery was the worst team in each division. It wasn't conferences. It was just two divisions then. Flips a coin for the first pick. The Bucks won because of a newspaper poll in Phoenix that said pick heads, and they picked heads, and it was tails. And that's why Kareem was in Milwaukee. So just so you know how fluky the NBA is, 
1971 NBA Finals victory that the Bucks celebrated would not have been possible without the good people of Phoenix failing to realize that Tails never fails. So let's go to 1970-71, probably one of the more boring years if you're an NBA fan who's not a Bucks fan, because it was like, imagine if last year the Warriors didn't choke it all away, first in the Western Conference Finals, then in the Finals. Like, that's how it was in the regular season. The Bucks won 66 games that year. They were 66-16. and 16. Obviously, they've never been that good before or since then. The next best team in the NBA was the Knicks, who they were good, but they won 52 games. The Bucks were 14 games better than the team who was in second place. You want to talk about how dominant the Warriors were? They were only six games better than the Spurs last year. It was close, and obviously they weren't the best in the NBA by a wide margin considering they didn't walk away with the hardware. The difference between those teams is that while the Warriors may have gotten the gaudier numbers, they weren't clearly better. I mean, they lost, but even in the regular season, it was a closer margin than the Bucks were to the Knicks. The Bucks walked all over everyone that season. It was hardly entertaining. The Bucks finished first in points per game, first in assists per game, first in field goal percentage. If three-point percentage existed, they probably would have been first in that too. First in offensive rating, first in defensive rating, first in SRS, which is a fancy metric that says basically how you did considering your competition and third in points allowed per game. So it was like no one was close to them. I mean, in the standings and the statistics and in the NBA finals, the team that faced them was the Washington Bullets, which was a fine team. Earl Monroe, Jack Marin, Gus Johnson, and again, not the Bucks one, the, the, uh, the player one. They were the best Bullets plus Wes Unseld. Uh, but they just, it wasn't close. Like the, the game, none of the games were close. The lowest the Bucks won by was eight, I want to say. Yeah, they won game three by eight points, game one by 10, game two by 19 points, and game four by 12 points. I can't find the specific numbers for like times holding the lead, but I do know that at no point during an intermission in game, so between the first and second, second and third, or third or fourth quarters, did the Bullets ever hold a lead in this series? The Bucks won every first quarter, and it never fell behind after that by the end of the next quarter. They dominated. They won in four games. Kareem took home finals MVP honors, and just a boring season if you're not a Bucks fan. The most exciting if you are because it was the one title and like Adam alluded to earlier in a quote, it seemed like this team was going to be unstoppable just based on how they handled everyone else. Like It was just a demolition through and through, and they capped it off with a breeze through the finals. The, they didn't walk through the playoffs as easily, but they did almost as easily. They didn't sweep everyone, which I want to say has been done in the NBA. I think the Lakers might have done that once. I'm not positive on that, actually. Don't quote me on that. I think, that, I think they swept their way to the finals and dropped one game to the okay. Sixers. One. Wasn't that the year the Sixers and the faithful year for the Bucks? Oh, yeah. Was that 2001? Yeah. So they were the closest. The Bucks were up there, though. It didn't take as much back then. There was only two series before the NBA Finals. They dropped a game to the San Fran Warriors and a game to the Lakers and then swept the Bullets. So 12-2 and two in the NBA Finals. 66 and 16 in the regular season. One word to describe it is just pure domination. 
Well, uh, what I was going to say a few minutes ago, and you alluded to it earlier as well, the the idea that this was all Kareem. Of course, this was Kareem's team, and he was the driving force. He was who put them there in the first place, allowed them to be quite this dominant. But something I found interesting, he he led the books in scoring in game one and two, but after that, there was a different player in each game. Uh, Bob Dandridge, I want to say, was game three. And then to clinch the championship, Oscar Robertson came out with a 30-point game in game four, which at this point we're talking about... He's probably, was he 33 by then? Um, he was 32. He was 32. Um, he was 32 and with a lot of miles on the clock. I mean, this is the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot. Oscar Roberts's career high in minutes played was 45.6 minutes per game for a season. His average for his career is 42.2 minutes. Life so, back then was crazy. By the time you get to 32 and you're playing those minutes... That's half of an Al Pacino movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was impressive. That's what I was trying to say. Jordan killed yeah. it, but it was impressive. Well, I mean, yeah, you look at those finals, he averaged 41 minutes per game. So it's like that's how – like the Bucks were deep too. Like Lucius Allen was yeah. hardly used. And Lucius Allen was a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. He only got 22 minutes per game in the finals. He was basically the sixth most used player, sixth man if you want to call it that. Like Lucius Allen could have probably – I mean, considering how much better the Bucks were than everybody, he probably starts on a lot of teams back then. But he was the sixth man because they were so good. And like Adam just said, guys just played forever. Like Big O did not lead the team in minutes per game with 41 in the finals. Kareem still played more. I, they're sort of very similar in terms of minutes management to how Jason Kidd handles <laughs> meaningless games at the end. Of, will I bring the Sixers game up again just to upset you for the second week running, Jordan? Yeah. Mm. Grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Yeah. Anything else on the 71 championship win? I mean, honestly, just that it was like it, – it's just crazy right now. Like if you told someone right after this would be the one ring the Bucks win for the rest of their history through 2016, people probably would not believe you. Like they were so good. And obviously the Big O and Dandridge to a lesser extent were getting a little older. Well, not Dandridge at all, just the big O was. But, I mean, obviously he was going to get older. But still, like, to imagine a team that had Dandridge and Kareem both at age 23 would not win another title. And despite there being no weird injury things until three years later, you know, they, it's not like there was, like, a huge – like, many huge flukes after that. They were really good for three straight years, and they just could not win another one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. People are probably surprised. Maybe, maybe shocked, maybe just surprised. It certainly seemed like this team was going to be back there. Do you think the dominance of that team now gets slept on because Kareem was on the team? Is it an issue that they're too easily written off as... Obviously, this isn't within the Bucks fan base, but more generally, if people were to look and say, yeah, of course the Bucks won that year. They had Kareem. Like, I do... Even outside of the Big O, we've talked about Dandridge, Johnny Mack, as you said, Lucius Allen barely played. This was a hell of a team. This was a, like, it's also important. You can say, okay, they had Kareem and Oscar, 
Although this wasn't the finest year for the Celtics, they were going through a lull and they came back stronger than ever a couple of years later. Just in, we'll say that two-decade-long span in the NBA, beating out the Celtics to win a championship was a big deal. Yeah. So I just feel like it doesn't get the praise necessarily that it, that's, that it's earned, that the team deserved, because it's just seen as... Yeah, well, they had Kareem, and then look what happened. He went to LA, and they they won championships too. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that they only won the one ring. Mm-hmm. Is more so than Kareem overshadowing. I feel like if they come away like like in '74, if they get another ring, then you're talking about over a span they did it twice. Then I think people look back and sort of say, "Oh, yeah, this team was great. Like, look at this team. They held together for a few years." They, you know, championship season, 60 wins, 59 wins or whatever, championship season. We need to recognize this is one of the best teams. The fact is they only won once. Probably doesn't help that they were that much better than everyone else. It wasn't yeah. like there was – like I wrote about this to start my piece. It's almost unfortunate. Like there was no great narrative. There was no epic playoff moment on the way to them winning this. They, they just crushed everyone. So, I mean, I think it's not really – I don't know how many people outside of Milwaukee are interested in telling the story that much. Like, hey, watch young, dominant Kareem, the grizzled vet Big O, and young Bobby D just annihilate everyone for a year and then fail to do it again. Like, it's just missing whether it be the second title or whether it be some sort of intrigue on the way to the first title. I think it's just missing the storybook elements that we look for so often. Yeah, and I think that narrative would have got flipped on its head if they won in 74, not only because it would be their second ring, but because they would have gotten it by beating the Celtics in what was a seven-game series. If the Bucks win that game seven, yeah, gone toe-to-toe with one of the league's greatest franchises, that wasn't the best Celtics team, but they were really sort of... They were obviously they were the NBA champions. They were right back in the ascendancy, and they were, they were reaching a stage where they are going to kick on again. Seven game series. I, I we'll talk about more next week, but that really doesn't get talked about enough. Maybe it's just for a fan base on a franchise that have had so much pain. The idea of being one game away from a second ring isn't something that people like to sort of focus on. But when we're this far removed, and it can be looked at a little bit more objectively, a little more pain free, I guess. That's a big achievement in itself. I mean, the goal for this group is to win a championship. If they got to a finals and lost the seven games, that would hurt a lot at the time. But right now, after like last season, I think we'd all give quite a lot to say, yeah, this books team is going to be good enough to go to a finals and lose in seven games. As long as it's not a 3-1 lead. <laughs> Very well put, Jordan. We're going to briefly touch on the one piece of news that we had in the last seven days. I want to say actually both of these came since we last recorded. Mm. Um, the books have reportedly, because neither of these have been officially announced, but they're as good as um, they've added Xavier Henry and Orlando Johnson to the roster. Of course, the books currently have 15 guaranteed contracts. So 
technically they are now rolling with 17 men, which for all intents and purposes makes it look like Johnson and Henry are only here for training camp. But I don't think I'm alone in saying it is at least curious just how focused the books have been in bringing in a specific type. We have harped on a lot about the lack of small forward depth, more than any sort of sane people would talk about the lack of small forward depth. But bringing in two guys who in the past have shown real ability in the NBA for different reasons, it sort of drifted away from them. But both can really play at the two or the three spot. Is there a chance, albeit a very outside chance, that the books might just be looking at something here just in case? I certainly think so. Um, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know actually if it was on the podcast, but when I was talking about potential training camp guys, you said to me that the books don't do that. They really don't. They're not going to bring anyone with a real chance of making the team. Mm-hmm. And just as you doubt them. <laughs> well, like this is a, I, actually, I asked Frank Madden of Brew Who Fame the last time Bucks brought in a player from a training camp deal, like right away, down like a 10 day contract or anything. And he said, Josh Davis, who I don't even really remember <laughs> who that was. Uh, but that was up in uh, 2005 season, 2005, 6 season, I think. Anyway, so a long time ago. But I'm not saying this means anything from strictly from the changeover from train camp to the season, but even Michael Scotto of uh, uh, Sheridan Hoops said that they're even tweeted saying, like, they're looking at any options that they can to add a wing depth. And it's – I mean, if you just look at the roster, explain why they're doing that. Um so I don't know. I don't know if, I'm, again, they have guaranteed contracts and these guys are just coming on training camp deals. But still, it is curious that both are swingman slash wing types and would fill a need for them, even though maybe they might be the 15th or 14th guy on the team. Still something that they don't have right now. So I, I still think it's curious. And maybe it does parlay into something later in the season, but interested that they're doing it now to me yeah i mean i'm just like why sign steve novak to a veteran guaranteed deal if you're gonna actually try people out i don't know who else would be released i mean maybe maybe one of the young guys maybe ennis maybe vaughn but i don't i really don't think so i think they're the only two contenders though really aren't they I don't even know if they're really contenders. But if they honestly. were, I know it's a, it's a drastic move, but if it was like, let's say one of Johnson or Henry comes in and absolutely balls out in training camp, looks great to them, then plays well in preseason, and they get to the point where they're like, look, we can't let that guy go. I don't think there's anyone who could possibly come into the conversation outside of those two guys right now. And it's not, it's not Steve, even just Steve uh, Novak. Steve Novak, for yeah, sure. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to say... That would be, I mean, we talk about how cruel it would be if they didn't sign him, but to sign Steve Novak, I don't I don't think they're going to do that. Like, personally, I feel, yeah, it wouldn't have been great in terms of 
maybe in terms of a look, but they sort of set themselves up. They backed themselves into this corner on Novak to begin with by saying he was coming back all along. But Steve in the corner. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, they should have called his bluff on the whole, I had other teams calling me up, but this is where I wanted to be. And just bring him to training camp. Don't actually sign the deal yet. And bring him, Orlando Johnson and Javier Henry, to training camp and go, okay, one spot, show us what you've got. Yeah, I mean, just like releasing, especially especially Vaughn, but Ennis too. I mean, both Va- Ennis has two years left that are very cheap. Vaughn has three. So even if they're not the greatest players, I mean, if they get a little better each, like just the, the money, and we've talked about this a lot, and it's boring, but I don't care. It's important. Like salaries are going are already becoming very important to the Bucks who are over the cap. So, I mean, throwing away two years of cheap Ennis or three years of cheap Vaughn right now, it's like I don't know where you're replacing them at that price. More, more vet men guys like Novak and Jason Terry. That's not really a great option. Uh, you're not going to get the, the A-tier ones. You're not going to walk away with cheap Zaza or cheap David West. Those guys are going to contenders. So now it's like you're going to get scrap players, essentially, guys who made it this long for a reason. I mean, I think Jet can still contribute. And then there's Novak. Um, really, though, I mean, it's just like the, it, it would feel short-sighted unless, I mean, you can ink – one of those two guys to a cheap multi-year deal, maybe. I, I don't know. It just seems right now like I, I would hate to see one of the young, cheap, tenured guys go. Tenured not as in they've been here, but as they as in they will be here for someone when until a few weeks or a month ago they had an open spot and they just decided to use it on Steve Novak, who is just not – like clearly by these moves, not even the Bucks are thinking he's going to be the primary backup small forward. So it's just like, why, why, why do it? Why, why? I feel like Ben Mahich now. Like this is how he gets about the Wizards. But why? Yeah. Either though, too. It doesn't mean both Ennis and Vaughn obviously have outlooks above what their money are or will be. But I'm not saying any types of moves if they were to bring them in. They could just decline their options. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it would cost the Bucks money. I'm just saying they would lose yeah. out on having them for the cheap. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, the yeah. other, But, I mean, if, the they cut, if they cut one of them now, they're paying their salary this year because they already extended that option. Yeah. The other thing in this is there doesn't have to be someone cut. They can make a trade. I'm not talking <laughs> that they could make a Greg Monroe trade. If they, if they want to bring a guy in really badly – Look, we could be surprised. They could go out and say, you know, we've got three bigs now. We don't like Henson that much. We're not a fan of that deal anymore. Let's trade Henson. Let's take a pick back. Like, we don't actually know what exactly they're going to do, but this, what this does to me signal is they're very much still open for business. Whether they do anything else is a different question, but... They haven't showed up shop, and if someone wants to talk Monroe, I think they'll definitely do that. But I, I think they'd probably be open to offers on multiple players. I'm still waiting on Lance. Yeah, we should, be, but be waiting on that one. at the same time, we shouldn't draw conclusions because both both players have something to to prove. 
obviously yeah in in different ways henry's coming off of uh ruptured achilles or something like that or i think so i could yeah you're right you're right ruptured achilles um and even though he has played the d league that's still going from that to the nba and securing a spot is a different question Orlando johnson's obviously accomplished d-league player uh but he's still i mean he's been a journeyman to nba teams he's played for how many teams like four or five uh, I think he's just played for four, and that was two of them coming on ten-day contracts last year. Yeah. But I, I mean, you're right. The best way of describing it is, I mean, Henry has made his comeback into the D League, but he just sort of did that in the latter part of the season. It's not like he's been there for a year getting healthy. So the health is still something that has to sort of play out with him. You have to see how well he's recovered if he's the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Johnson's case. He had a, I mean, a, an impressive year on a really good Pacers team as a rookie. And since then, he hasn't been able to show what he can do really in the NBA. He just hasn't held the place down. He hasn't shot the ball very well, being a big part of that, where when he goes to the D League, he shoots much better. So mm-hmm. there's those sort of things he has to prove. I will say I like both of these guys. It's not like either of them are slam dunks, but... There's enough to like, I think, in both of them. And I, I do, I just have a feeling that one of the two is going to at least impress. Um, we know from books history, that doesn't mean, recent books history, I should add, that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily sign one or make a move out of it. But I do feel one of these two guys could well show that he can do something. This is very different to training camp last year, where... You were looking at guys who had been fighting to get back into the league, having played D-League or internationally around the world. Both of these guys have played pretty recently in the NBA. Johnson in spells last year. The only reason Henry didn't was because he was injured. So mm-hmm. I, they're definitely intriguing. I, I wonder if we'll see more, more signings of this nature before we get to camp because let's not let's not forget this is the these are the second and third players who the bucks have agreed to terms on a training camp deal with we unfortunately will not see him because he signed overseas but milwaukee also wanted to bring ronald roberts jr in as well so it could just be the bucks really looking to find a diamond in the rough and maybe get some competition in camp going at the very least fire up some of the young guys and get them working harder but um, it's not entirely new. Like, they, they did that. It was like, I want to say the season was still going on. It was just, the playoffs were probably still going on. Yeah, it was before Summer League. Like, it was. Yeah, it was a long time ago they had they had announced that they were going to They did it so on. early that they basically probably helped to trigger interest in him that ultimately yeah. led to him getting his deal in Europe. Like, it was, it was pretty weird. But you're right. That sort of ties into what I'm saying here is in these aren't just let's fill out the roster with some local guys for training camp. Uh, this is real players. I just wonder are we going to see some more of that ilk, which as Toy says, worst case scenario, competition is really heated and you've got sort of top quality players in camp to help get the team ready. And considering you had a few guys, Henson, Middleton, say they didn't think the team was in the best shape heading into last year, this could even sort of factor into that as in if your additions happen to be for 
sort of NBA caliber guys who've been through the rigors of NBA teams in the past. Maybe that just ups the intensity and it brings everyone to a level where come opening night they're a little bit more ready. My question is, where is Josh Powell? I hope he's coaching. got a coaching job somewhere. He's gonna stick to that. I hope. I'm looking this up. My favorite, my favorite Josh Powell thing is on our um, on our image database. You'd often have occasion to look for. You go, okay, there must be a picture of Middleton and Monroe together, good friends, former Piston teammates. Books teammates. <laughs> when you search Middleton Monroe on our database, the only pictures available basically have Josh Pell photobombing them in the middle. It's like I love, I love that one so Who much. Josh Pell in this picture? But, well, he is his cousin. Yeah, I said this to Jordan, and Jordan pointed out to me. I didn't know at the time he was Middleton's cousin. Man, we have an update. There's always a books connection. What's Josh Pell doing now, Jordan? He's playing with Lu Yang Zhangyi of the Chinese oh. MBL. There it is. Is he player coach or is he just playing? No, he's he's returned back to a player. Wow. Who who knows what they saw in his five minutes of preseason? He's he's the Bill player. Russell of player coaches in China. <sighs> Mailbag time. The first one from at 33 trigger. I should probably commend our mailbag participants this week for the most part for tying into the team. That was appreciated. The, the, the history team. We've got some fun questions. Uh, first one from at 33 trigger. What current two guard would best complement the big O if he were transplanted into the year 2016? Uh. If I would be a little biased, I think Chris Middleton is uh, yeah, I mean, perfect uh, compliment. Yeah, it's like a low usage guy who will let Big O run the ball, but he's going to play a hell of a great defense. He can shoot and spread the floor, which wasn't as much of a thing back then, but still would have worked. And he can run the offense a little bit himself when Big O needs a breather. I think there's some fun options on that, as in I think there are guys who I don't want to say aren't very good, but that Oscar Robertson would elevate them to entirely new levels. And mm-hmm. someone who sticks out to me is DeMar DeRozan. Because I think if he had a facilitator at the level of Oscar Robertson, and he was really given so much more time and space to operate, because, I mean, let's be honest, Kyle Lowry is very good, but if we're talking Oscar Robertson, Kyle Lowry here, I think he's someone who he could maybe just take advantage of the opportunities. I don't disagree. Uh, Chris Middleton type or Clay Thompson, something like that would probably be perfect. But I, I do think there are fun sort of higher usage guys that their role might be reduced a little, but they'd still get a bit more out of their performance just by playing alongside someone like Oscar Robertson. I mean, we talk so about... So, like Jimmy Butler? Would he, how about, would how about he... James Harden? Oh, that would oh. be fun. That would be fun, That's like though. 20 assists per game. I mean, it, there'd be a lot of things Between to work them. out, but I, I do think that could be something pretty special. If they yeah, but you have to remember, though, like, 
he if you look at his shooting numbers, they they were starting to kind of fall off. I, I'm thinking only like Bucks Oscar. Like obviously at his best he was a better shooter, but Yeah, I suppose I'm not really I'm talking just Oscar Robertson. I'm not putting yeah. a Bucks timeline specifically on him. Yeah. If you imagine him for multiple years, so you can imagine that okay, you get his time in Cincinnati, you get some time with the books as well. I, I, I think some of those sort of really high usage things could be fun. I, I like the sort of thought exercise of which sort of chokers could Oscar Robertson fix as such. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think that's, that's a sort of, it's a fun thing to think about and just how that would work. I also think a lot of this is maybe judging off of the way um, Oscar Robertson's public persona is now, but I don't think he would back off sort of in telling James Harden not to take certain shots or when to just get out of his way and, you know, this is my time to play, which would be interesting. I just think it would make for some fun dynamics with that kind of player. The next one from Andrew RVH. This is something we'll probably touch on in more detail next week. But how many championships do you think the Bucks would have won if Dr. J decided to play in the NBA instead of the ABA? Ooh. The background to this briefly, as I said, we'll talk about it more next week for anyone who didn't know. The Bucks technically drafted Julius Irving. And Julius Irving just said no, basically. He flat out refused to come play for the books. Um, he went to the ABA, played for the Virginia Squires, I think, or he was playing for them at the time and then went on to the Nets. Um, but yeah, in terms of who drafted him in the NBA, it was the books. It got pretty messy. There was all sorts of legal issues around it. And it's a great what could have been. You could have had Oscar, Kareem, and Dr. J. What year was he drafted by the Bucks again? He was drafted in 1972. So if 71. He, 71, I thought. No, 72 draft. He started his he, career in 71, he, but he was drafted in Oh, 72. okay. Mm. That's weird. So he could have been they, – they could have come in after winning the championship and added Dr. J to the team. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> I mean, does Kareem leave then? I would. I was just about to say that. I don't. Here's I, the better question: Does it matter? Yeah, that's all. I mean, they'd still be. They'd still be. I mean, you're looking guy. at it'd be with Kareem. They'd probably play like small ball almost. I don't know. They'd have to invent it first. But you could have like Big O, Johnny Mac. Dr. J, Bob Dandridge, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I don't know if they would have had... Well, maybe they, they probably would. They'll make it work. That's just ridiculous. I mean, in an era of pretty much no free agency, they could, I mean, keep them as long as they could. I mean, they wouldn't have to worry about someone else, like, really poaching. Oh, that team is, that team is stupid. They win as many rings as they feel like winning. They, they, I think they win one without Kareem at that point, honestly. Like... Dr. J, Dandridge, yeah, you're, Oscar, you're probably right. They'd, they'd be there or thereabouts every year enough to get over the line at least once. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, Dr. J won 
two rings with the Nets in 74 and 76. I mean, I don't know enough about the ABA to talk about the teams he was with at the time and all the players, but I mean, if he could win two where the second best guy in the team was Billy Pultz or Larry Kennan, I think he probably could have muscled one out with Dandridge, Robertson, McLaughlin, and all these other guys. And I mean, even his his Sixers championship, which I think was 81. Moses Malone was obviously a great. He was the next, I guess, next to him on that team. But beyond that, there wasn't there wasn't a third shining star, really, I don't feel. Yeah, it was 83, and it Mo was Cheeks. those two. Mo Cheeks and Andrew Tony were the other two best Oh, players. yeah, Andrew Tony. But they were the only four players to score more than nine points a game. And Cheeks only had 12.5. So Tony, Irving, and Malone all scored almost all of the points. So, yeah, I think even if Kareem leaves, I think they still – that team gets a title. Like Bobby D and Dr. J, that young – Big O is still there for a little while. That's that's a crazy good team. Andrew Tony, uh, or well, how I first heard that name, Sir Sid or Sid the Squid. You would say that was his uh, during Bucks broadcast. I think that I'm, could be. I hope I'm right. He would say that was his toughest, toughest player to guard. Wow. Yeah. But so some he would argue. Good. That uh, we may have a Dr. J in the making on our current books. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Is that a Jabari thing? I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's just like, no, clearly. Um, some, maybe. Some, would argue it. some would argue it, but Jordan is not one of the some. Yeah, that is, yeah. That is a very bold statement, um, which Jordan is not linking to any particular player. I, I no. dislike that even more than Okay, I I'll, I'll admit it. It's Malcolm Bragdon. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, okay. I gotcha. <laughs> the other the other thing with that is we're talking like if Kareem wasn't there. They traded for Bob Lanier in nineteen eighty. So when you look at Dr. J won his championship from yeah. what you say, eighty three type? Yeah, eighty three was the Sixers one. I mean there is even if they didn't quite figure it out before that if that deal still goes, which it may not because everything's different. At that point, you're adding him. They had... Do you draft Marcus Johnson? Yeah, you're not in position to probably. Yeah. Or even Moncrief too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it it changes the next decade for the books. The 80s may not be quite as good. Yeah. But then for as incredible as the 80s were, and we get to that, in a couple of weeks' time, they didn't get over the line. So if you're trading it for more championships, you probably do it. A little Dr. J would probably have helped, yeah. The next question from at David Dunn 21 If, as reported at the time, the Knicks weren't willing to give up enough for Kareem, don't they deserve the past 40 years? <laughs> I've got a great quote on this um, that I just want to read out. This is from Wayne Embry, who was the Bucks GM at that time. He was a member of the original Bucks starting lineup that Ty wrote about, went on to be a GM. Um, 
this is a piece piece from the New York Post from a few years back from when Mello was trying to work his way out of Denver and it was drawing the parallels between him and Kareem. And it's basically talking about how the Knicks tried to steal Kareem, which is what David Dunn 21 is alluding to there. And the quote from Bembry is, they thought they had the edge because he was from New York. They offered a pass prime wall Fraser and, as usual, had no first-round picks. <laughs> Damn. They thought Cash was appealing to everybody, but Cash can't play, Embry scoffed, which is one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> well, what, what I learned from this is that Wayne Embry should get another shot as GM because he sounds like he, that he long ago. He has ties to the Raptors, I want to say. He, I mean, he's won Executive of the Year awards with Cleveland. Like, he wasn't yeah. bad. He just – I felt bad for him because, I mean, I want to say he took over, like, the – just a couple years after Kareem left the Bucs. Yeah, he actually – maybe, he took maybe over, right when. He took over, basically, from what I can see, the timeline for him taking over was he took over and Kareem basically walked into the office and said, yeah, I want to yeah. trade. So it's like – and he got fired a few years later, but it's like, come on, like – what franchise loses Kareem and they're still good? Like, that's a little unfair. And clearly, he knew what he was talking about. I mean, I don't know when that quote was from from Melo leaving. So that's still years ago. But I mean, 2011. Cash isn't that valuable. Like he he knows what he's talking about. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's totally like what is too much for 20 what five 26 year old Kareem Abdul Jabbar? I don't. I don't know what price is too much. You get 14 years of him. I'll, I'll pay whatever I got, pretty much. Do you think when Wayne Embry was GM, people called him Wayne G. Embry? Mm, maybe. No, I, I think no one has ever called him that until right now. Okay. Call him up. Ask that's, him. A, that's a win in six first. Let's get Wayne on the show. The, the other thing, I think his, um, him being fired lines up with the change in ownership as well, which would, explain, oh, okay. which would explain his quote earlier of being close to the original owners. Um, so that probably makes sense in that. So he, he of books GMs, he probably did get the short end of the stick. But that's, yeah. they thought Cash was appealing to everybody, but Cash can't play. I mean. Well, we have one, Chris Middleton. There you go. I, I was more thinking of the cash considerations that the books were oh, talking oh, yeah. about. But oh, yeah, you're right. The next question from uh, Josie's. Was this the greatest era for books uniforms ever? This being 60s, 70s. What is the no. best in your opinion? No, the the ones with the pur- the purple ones with the deer. The ones with the purple deer, I mean. Like, unmistakably... The best uniforms in any sport ever, and Adam's yeah, gonna have a soccer. Mom. Adam's gonna have a soccer uniform. I don't care about. I it. mean, it I could really be don't. an NFL uniform. It could be a baseball uniform. That's such a big statement. Any I don't sport care. ever. I don't Come care. On. They have purple deer on them. What more do I need to say? Purple deer. Adam. I did this piece recently, about maybe six weeks ago now. And you know how I felt about it. I know how Jordan felt about it as well. But to answer your question, Josie's, <laughs> yeah, I had number one jersey as the row jersey from 
basically from when the, the franchise started, through 72, 73. Is that the red one? No. No, the green, green with the red. It's just... Oh. Jordan and I had this out at the time, but I just think there's something... This goes back to earlier when I was making fun of the Sixers jerseys from the Iverson era. I think the, the books nailed the green and red. Like we got, We've ended up in this place where there was talk of, oh, they, the green and red is awful. They have to change away. That can't work. Like, from the day they started, they had green and red so perfect. It was so clean. It was great. I, I think that's comfortably the best jersey. I love the purple with the deer. It's not. It's... It's a weird, it's like, it's a cult classic. It's not the best jersey. If we're objectively going, which is the best jersey? Which, 20 years ago, 20 years from now, is the jersey that I'd look at and go, wow, that's a really nice jersey. I, I think the book's got it right from the off. Crazy. They have deer on them. I know, Jordan. I, I don't know if he fully agrees with you, but I know he disagrees with me. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. It's I like the original ones, and they're very obviously they're associated with the championship and give us your fancy ones. word, Mark Jordan. Come on. Wait, what? I we I don't know, maybe you've forgotten about this, but you're making the case to me. Basically, they had um their typeface was. I felt like it was with... basic. I felt like it was just kind of. Jordan says basic. I say clean. This is this is the problem here. This is where we're. I, I think there's a better away jersey, and of course I do like the purple era, because that's where I grew up in. But I also realize it's also, and it's so different from any other like colors that they have. The jersey that you said to me at the time was your favorite, or maybe it's maybe only... not your favorite. It was one of them, was. The seventy three, seventy four to seventy five, seventy six. Oh yes, go look it up. It's basically the exact same as the one I'm saying, except the Milwaukee is sort of, it's on a slant. It's sort of, I don't know. It's like the sort of writing you see on the front of a diner. Is basically, it's basically the best way I can describe it. I don't dislike it. I just, I just feel like it's too much. Well, I would like a pair of eggs, a hash browns, and bagels. Thank you very much. The next question. Bring us back to the present day from a pencil 2292. When do you think we will see the first deli oop, Yanis <laughs> Dunk? I'm voting first points in the first game. Hashtag confident. Third quarter. That would, that's confident that he would be starting right away, which I feel yeah, like he I should go. So, I, I hope Even so. if he does, like, he'll, he'll have to get his confidence up. I'm saying third quarter of the first game. He's gonna, I don't know if, he'll, if it'll land, but I think that's when he's going to throw the first one. During the Olympics with Australia, I mean, that's basically how they opened most games was Delhi and Boga connecting. Like, Baines mm-hmm. maybe on one occasion. But... Oh. Their offense was so smooth that I think any expectation of the books being that sort of efficient and well-oiled, not just on opening night, but from the very opening tip of opening night, is a little <laughs> optimistic. But, I mean, if he starts, I think we'd see it in game one. 
at some stage. And the last question, a continuation of that one, really. Any chance we can keep a tally on Delhi Oops this season, much like Plumley points to fells ratio from the start of last season? So he wants us to do it for like two weeks and then stop when it's not fun I mean, anymore? I was, I was going to say moment of silence, the Plumley points to fell ratio, which we definitely did for more than two weeks. That got, that got us through to this calendar year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but and just, I mean, if if you want to, if we were just talking to someone that had no familiarization or followed the Bucks this season, we started a thing where Miles Plumley had more fouls than actual points. It was close. I don't think he had more. I think it was close. It was, it was neck and neck. It was neck and neck. I probably have it on my notebook here. I remember. I remember. Jordan, I remember. Jordan, on this podcast. the notebook now. I mean, we're in trouble. I remember, I think it was Adam telling me that, or maybe this was just on Twitter, but I remember someone telling me, more than one person saying, Miles Plumley is trash. And I said, Here, I found it. Oh, he's I got it in the notebook. Probably, actually, it wasn't even that close. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Good God. This is in December. I had it 26 points, 14 fouls, and one technical. I mean, that's yeah, pretty we close. Yeah. Were... He wasn't even at a two to one. It's no Jan Vesely though. I mean, that's the 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 namesake of the Miles Yardstick for it, yeah. Yeah, but now he's uh, paid fifty million dollars. I I like this idea of keeping track of Dally Oops. It could be a thing. Sounds like a good video idea. I feel like we'll need like a sign. You know, like they have at like a factory and how many days since the last accident? <laughs> how, how many, many days, days since the last deluge? Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't go very high. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, well there's going to be some days because they might not, they might not have back-to-backs, right? Well, yeah. But we've got to do games. How many yeah. games has it How many games? There we go. Boom. There we go. Brainstorm. On, on that note of Jordan just sorting out that that glaring problem with the deli sign that we weren't going to make, um, <laughs> we're going to wrap up for this week. We'll start off. I, I normally thank you for listening at this point, but I'll I'll thank Ty Windish for gracing us with his presence. Um, You're welcome. When, we went over time, by the way, so I'm gonna need a little bonus. When when can we next expect to see you again? I think I have an opening in March, <laughs> you, 2019. I mean, all of you now think he's joking, but he really is. I'm joking. booked up. He, I'm booked up. March booked 2019. Up. You just remember where you stand in the pecking order with Ty Windish, everyone. I st- I know in this podcast pecking order I stand a solid fourth. Well, yeah, that's goes, that's clear. Adam, Adam, no, yeah, Adam, Jordan's dog, Jordan, and then me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the first three are neck and neck, and then it's like a long like 50, 50 feet of crap or whatever the quote is from Moneyball, and then me. For those of you who might have missed it earlier in the week, Jordan's dog, the the third member of the Win Sixteen, ah, oh. celebrated his birthday this week. Jordan's dog yeah. is named after legendary book Finn Baker. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so he's been quiet tonight, but Vin is always close by. Forever in our hearts. Thank you very much for listening. 
Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. Keep reading all of our work on BehindTheBookPass.com. Keep following and learning, I hope, from our book's history pieces. We'll be back next week for some 70s slash 80s and maybe some current books if they do anything in the time between now and then. We will be back next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.